Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. everybody jacob here with uh, the daniel three podcast uh this video needs a little bit of an introduction because if i just let you guys walk into this thing without any kind of preface i feel like you know you'll probably not want to watch it the whole way listen to it the whole way through rather um and to be frank i feel like my intro here is almost sort of to just preemptively persuade you not to listen to it sort of I just want to make sure that, you know, the the full context of this conversation um, is heard. This is a conversation I had with uh, John Hudak of the Fakertarians page and podcast. Uh, John and the Fakertarians are uh, big critics of the Mises Caucus, of which I am involved as a state organizer here in Pennsylvania where I live. And John, maybe not so much himself, but the others he is, you know, the, the other people who are on the admin team, I guess, of Vegetarians and the group of people that run in their circles have, you know, been very strong, not just critics of myself and my friends and the Mises talkers, but um, have been rather... Uh, derogatory and inflammatory and um, insidious in their accusations and attacks of all of us, both collectively and individually. A lot of people in the circles that I run in have decided that Hudak and Figuritarians, um, well, they, they call anyone associated with these people or who act like they do the uh, quote-unquote loser brigade. And it's to describe their behavior, which is, you know, if you're not familiar with the inner workings of the LP and the culture, and so maybe this stuff is going over your heads, it's basically a faction within the Libertarian Party um, and movement broadly who are sort of, sort of like they fuse together like gatekeeping, cancel culture tactics with like a sort of woke socially progressive version of libertarianism. So a lot of the people I run with, granted some of them are Christians and some of them aren't, have said we should block these people, ignore them, and move on. Personally, I do kind of lean towards that being a more productive use of time. I don't think that everybody should be sitting down and taking 
everything that these people say with the utmost seriousness. This doesn't mean that I want an echo chamber, and actually there are a lot of people outside of the Macy's caucus who are in various other, you know, whether they're in a different caucus or they're just not caucused or they're not even in the LP, there are people who will criticize the Macy's caucus or who criticize me who do it in good faith and who do it from a position where we are all on the same team, but we just have disagreements that we iron out over time through productive conversations that are never taken to a level where there are personal attacks or attempts to cancel people. And those are the people of whom I have much more desire to associate with and talk to. Um, a couple episodes ago, I talked to my good friend, Hody Johns, um, who, despite you know us having some serious disagreements and him having some serious disagreements and run-ins with people in my camps, for example, him and Dave Smith had a little bit of a run-in, which was disappointing to me, and I wasn't happy with how uh, Hody acted in that necessarily. I, I was a little disappointed in how that went down, but... Um, I find Hody to be a person, uh, and I disagree with Dave on this point, I actually find Hody to be a person who has much higher integrity and whom I much more want to associate with than the people like, um, you know, Hudak and, and Fakertarians on large. And there's other people that, you know, in the Christian anarchist community who have pushed back against the Mises Caucus or even just the LP strategy. So my desire or lack of desire to have this conversation was, you know, I, you can tell throughout it, I'm a little bit conflicted because I, on one hand, you know, when Hudak asked to come on, I felt sort of compelled to uh, oblige and have him on because I figured if there's ever a time to do it, to have this conversation with him, I should do it now while my platform is still small but growing and um i appreciate all of my current listeners and i hope to grow my listenership and grow this podcast i don't think conversations like this are the primary means by which that will happen but i guess i wanted to have it on the record just for my own sake of conscience that i at least tried that hudak and fakertarians came on my podcast, and that I attempted for over two hours to find some sense of commonality and harmony and to reconcile our differences. Unfortunately, I don't think that's what I accomplished. And, you know, that's disappointing, frustrating. You, you kind of see in real time how frustrated and, and aggravated I get. So it's... um. It's a conversation I think that is worthwhile from the perspective of demonstrating how to be patient and to even as a Christian to try to find ways to love and do good to those who persecute you. You know, there's also some, you know, points in here where I feel like I didn't push back as strongly as I could have and other times where I pushed back, but... I wasn't keeping my cool as much as I would have liked. And that's a tough balance. There are some things here that he presented that I felt were uh, unfair representations 
you know, regarding people like Ryan Dawson, regarding uh, Dave Smith, regarding the Mises Caucus in general. And a lot of where our differences, to kind of summarize, come down on, are that I can be charitable to people in disagreement. And it seems that Hudak and those who follow in his uh, footsteps are motivated to take things in the worst possible light and to it's kind of like the you know interpreting things to be the worst version of what those things could be if you took them out of context but the context matters and while within the LP within the LPMC sometimes there are people who say things or do things that I would not do such as, you know, at one point, we, you know, early on, a good example we talked about was the use of the N-word, the word used in a derogatory fashion often to describe uh, people of color. Um, I brought up in my experience that I have in certain contexts growing up, even as an adult, when I'm hanging around people of a certain background who are black, that word is destigmatized. And I have been encouraged to use it. On the flip side, I understand that to use that word in common, everyday interactions would be met with hostility. And so language has a little bit of an element of subjectivity to it that I can acknowledge. And even if certain people use words that I think are not the best choice of words, I ask myself, well, why are they using it? And are they using it because they are being hateful and they actually have, you know, bad views, you know, derogatory views of certain groups of people? Or are they using it because to them it is a cultural thing, some kind of sense of humor, inside joke among friends? And I try to be sensitive to that. And I think that that's something we need more of in society. We talk, I talk a lot about my experiences growing up and as an adult in interacting with different cultures. And I find that there's a common attitude among what it seems to me to be mostly white, sheltered liberals, <laughs> ironically, or, or not ironically, depending on how you look at it, where they are completely intolerant of other cultures. And they want diversity of skin color, but if anybody acts different than the way that they act, that is a problem. And so that's why people like Hotep Jesus, Maj Ture, you know, others who are, you know, they, they view those people as this group, the Loser Brigade who act, view them as, as racist. And, you know, to some extent, it's like yes and no, because actually... I have encountered people, and this is a lot of stuff I'm repeating it within the podcast that I'm remembering, but they're important points to drive home. So I want to repeat them here at the beginning, that, you know, racism isn't this, like, binary thing where it's like you're either 100% not racist or you're the worst, you're basically Hitler, right? It's like th there is not this binary switch where people have 0% racism in them or they are Hitler, there are many different forms and levels of racism and bigotry. And I'm not saying the goal shouldn't be to push back against it. 
but it's about how it's about the praxis and i think you know wasn't jesus often accused of like bad association of like he hang out he hung out with sinners with those who were you know drunkards and tax collectors and prostitutes and you know are we going to pretend that jesus when he was around these people never heard bad speak never heard people who were talking in derogatory fashions never dealt with bigotry never dealt with people who had prejudices now jesus wasn't afraid to call people out for their sin but jesus i think encapsulated the perfect balance between being empathetic and loving people, meeting them where they were at, and inspiring them to change from a position of friendship and love and compassion. And I think Jesus also importantly pointed out that our actions and our heart and our intentions matter a lot more than the perfection of our speak of our speech or the outward expression of puritanical righteousness that's what the pharisees had right the pharisees were probably some of the most well spoken they were very you know probably cared a lot about decorum about saying the right things looking the right way they very much cared about the perceptions but they missed the heart if I fall short of Christ's example, if I fall short of the standards to which Christ calls me, I want to fall short on the side in which I am doing my best to be empathetic with people and to maintain relationships with them that are not based upon coercively trying to shame them and control them into accepting my point of view, but rather continuously being able to engage with them over time and over many conversations, many sets of conversations, being able to encourage change and being able to shine the light of Christ and to plant seeds and to not view people as an as a, as a ends, right? Not viewing people as, well, my relationship with you is because I'm trying to change you. Rather, just loving people, loving my neighbor, loving my enemy, because that's what I'm told to do. And that's that means befriending people. It means every person's going to have to subjectively find the right line of how much they can engage with people and what they can be exposed to and what they can endure and what they can accept. But I don't think it's our job to go and tell another person that their particular tolerance level, that their particular associations are to be condemned or shamed. If it's not for you, that's fine. You do what you feel called to do. Let other people do what they feel called to do. I care a lot more about violence and people advocating for violence than I do about wrong think, wrong speak, or people being uncomfortable associating with people from different backgrounds and cultures that offend their sensitivities. Because guess what? As a Christian especially as Christians, I look at everybody as a child of God, as an image bearer of God. I look at them as somebody that I am instructed to love as Christ first loved me. 
And just as Christ tells us to come to him as we are, I am not going to define my relationships with people by these performative acts of being offended at people and declaring how virtuous I am by condemning, you know, like it's not brave or hard to condemn racism or bigotry. And let's be honest, if all it took to end racism and bigotry was to loudly proclaim how much we are not racist and to loudly shout at and condemn people for even when they are actually racist or just for saying things that, let's be honest, there's a lot of instances where those on the left condemn people of racism and sexism when it's really not. When it's just people making either you know jokes or when it's just that people don't have the same cultural views as the left does. So that's where I'm, this conversation, kind of like the theme that I wanted to uh, present, like the framing I wanted to put around it. This is a long conversation. It's painful at times. It's a little bit hard to even understand this conversation sometimes without the video context. So for those of you who only listen to my audio version, I apologize for that. Um, you might want to go check out the YouTube version. It, it, it would make the viewing experience a little bit more comprehensive. That said, I did my best to keep in mind to narrate things that were happening as best I could. Um, and yeah, so that's it. If you finish this episode or you can't get through it and your feedback is, well, that was a train wreck, never do that again. Believe me, no one has said that to me more than me. <laughs> um, but I feel like at the same time, you know, sometimes mistakes and train wrecks and you know, things like that. They're important parts of the growing process and of of the work we do. And I'm not going to likely have this kind of conversation again with Mr. Hudak, but I'm also not going to, uh, you know, like I, I could delete the video I had with him. I could not publish this. I could hide and pretend it never happened. Um, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand on my beliefs and believe that even if, you know, these conversations aren't pleasant at times, believe that my heart and my arguments will ring true to those who are listening in good faith. So with that, uh, I present to you my conversation with John Hudak of Fakertarians. Good evening, everybody. Sorry, we're getting a bit of a late start. What happens when you uh, have young kids that, I don't know, they don't like to uh, obey? <laughs> Damn libertarian-minded kids. Let me take my uh, logo off here. Give me one second. There I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am Jacob Daniel, host of the Daniel 3 podcast. Um, have an interesting episode tonight. Um, and I have three people waiting in the lobby. I'm going to bring them in one by one. First is my good friend, uh, Grant. Grant, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, Jacob. Should I? I mean, I, I feel inadequate with your shirt. I don't know if I, I need one of these or something like that. <laughs> I'm doing well. Just got off work. Yeah, yeah. Um, glad glad to be with you. Grant is, uh, for those who have followed my show for a while, they might be familiar with him. We've done a couple episodes together. Um Fellow, Anarcho Amish is uh, the name he's going under tonight, which is very fitting for him. Um, the 
So Grant's my co-host for tonight. The guests we have, um, for those of you who don't know, I guess from not reading the intro or something, uh, is John Hudak and Josh Hilditch, who are, uh, John's a admin of the Sacretarians. Josh is, I don't know if he's really an admin or not, to be to be completely frank. I'll ask him when we bring him up here. But they asked to come on to the show um, and kind of reluctantly I said yes. Um, the reason for doing it just being that as a Christian, you know, Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to do good to those who persecute us. Now, in the grand scheme of things, sometimes things that go over social media and stuff, they aren't, you know, as dire a form of persecution as maybe like what the apostles and stuff under uh, undertook. So I'm not trying to uh, be dramatic here, but there's some drama and there's going to be some tensions. This is going to be an episode where we're probably going to have some back and forth, but you know, you that's okay. This, Jacob? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely sprung on Grant. He had no idea. Yeah. Completely, completely coerced into coming. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So uh, anyway, with that little bit of introduction, I will bring our guests on for tonight. Uh, Mr. John Hudak and Mr. Uh, Hilditch from across Across the uh, across the Atlantic, coming to us live from uh, Her, Her Majesty Britain. Jacob, that intro was like a weird 1980s electric Catholic school. Electric <laughs> Catholic school? <laughs> it was like weird. It was quite cool. I actually quite liked it. There you go. Yeah. Sorry. Well, it's you know, it's it's probably not everybody's taste, but no matter what you do for an intro, I, I had people bitching I didn't have an intro. Now that I have an intro, I'm sure people will complain about the you know I don't like this and that. But you know what? It's not oh, your podcast. Too many it's Bible fairly, verses. Fa- fairly new. Yeah, because I saw you were asking about it on Twitter the other day. I wanted to yeah, do no, that Lou Rockwell one. It was fairly. Oh my god. Fairly, fairly. And see, I was looking for a, a bit slightly more professional intro than the um. The ones that that uh, you guys cooked. It had up the snow there. and everything, though, you know. <laughs> the, the 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 best one you guys did, which I'll I'll give you credit for 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 this one. It was kind of funny. Was the one where you ripped off part of the problems intro, and and just like every time Dave went that to go say fun. something, you cut out something he said and said Vegetarians podcast over and that over again. Fun. That was that was pretty funny. I can I can give credit where credits due. Thank you. Um, I'm not an admin. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think you're really an admin. You're just I mean, you're, you're in the like, chat. You're like the mascot, right? Like that's basically what your role is. Oh, a mascot. Become. That's oh. that's the best way I could I could describe it for those who, because you know I feel like half my audience is in the LP and in the, and might be in, in Mises caucus, so they're probably familiar with all this. Then the other half my audience that comes from more of the anarchist Christian community, they're just like, what the heck's going on? Don't know any of these people or what these references are. So they'll be saying that yeah. a lot more after this podcast. Yeah. So, um. You know, every guest I have on here, I give them a little bit of a time to give an introduction to themselves. Grant, you're returning, so uh, you won't get that honor tonight. But I'll give John and Hilditch a uh, chance, you know, take a couple minutes to introduce yourselves and your background. And, uh, you know, maybe since it's a, you know, kind of a libertarian podcast and we're all, I mean, uh, I think, Hilditch, do you describe yourself as a libertarian technically? Or what do you describe yourself yeah, as? Maybe you go first. Yeah, I'm a mutualist. mutualist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I'm sort of like a market anarchist, if anything. So, you know, there's going to be uh, ideas that you guys are going to have that we can have crossovers with, right? We can have a conversation. So that's probably the easiest way to describe me. Apart from that background, I'm British. What? <laughs> never In case guessed. you didn't gather. Never. I never was guessed. Sure. I just thought yeah. you had, I thought you had COVID and just had a really weird voice from, from <laughs> wow. the, you know, congestion and whatnot. <laughs> 
Yeah, actually, we do kind of sound like we've got COVID all the time. We act like it too. <laughs> uh, John, you know, I feel like you don't need the pe- most people probably know you, but for those who don't, maybe introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. So before we start, I got to say, I like the shirt. I've been on that show before. But um, so I've been uh, an admin on Fagertarian since 2017. I've been a libertarian or ANCAP since 2011. Um, I argue with people on Facebook a lot. I think that that kind of sums me up pretty well. What else do you want to know? Um, no, I mean, you can, I was just giving you the chance to open mic there to describe yourself, describe yourself however you wanted. So uh, this episode is a little bit weird. I don't have as much of a script or format. You were, you two both asked to come on my show. So to as much of an extent as I feel is wise, I'm going to give you guys even in and you grant too you guys the uh, ability to have a loose direction over what which way we go and what topics we discuss what questions you want to ask um you know i'll give my co-host first honors uh, if he wants grant do you have any questions or opening statements you'd, you'd like to make no i mean if they i so i didn't know the full context here i was um i, I was watching i, I was watching Fakertarians and they did some like weird um uh like Hunger Games thing and then like Jacob was mentioned. I begged I watched that too. I begged for death from Dave Smith. <laughs> I was actually gonna ask you about that. How do you feel by being killed by Dave Smith? I'm just I, I wish I knew more of the context. I was, I'm like was it a mercy killing? Like was it like I'm dying of thirst or something and for the good of the team, just kill me? Uh was it I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it was because it it you very... criticized Hotep Jesus. Uh, okay, you, that's, that's you sacrifice yourself for the Mises Caucus. You did well, sir. I mean, it could be worse. My own teammate fucking killed me in the first round. I guess, I guess, I guess at least mine was consensual or something because I begged for it. Uh, but Grant, I interrupted you, so okay. you can. <laughs> I, I already regret bringing this up because it was very painful and I didn't get very far through it. No, no offense, guys. Um, it, it... That's all right. Yeah. I'm taking. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, well, you know, John and Josh, you guys asked to come on here. So uh, do you guys have any questions or any any topics that you want to bring up for discussion? I mean, I figured we would talk about the Mises Caucus a bit for sure. Yeah, we can start out with the Mises Caucus. I'm a state organizer of the Mises Caucus here in Pennsylvania. Been a member, you know, probably more officially since 2020, although I was in the Facebook group for eh, a while, probably since 2018 or so. Um, but didn't get really involved in it until 2020. Um, for my, I mean, I feel like everyone knows who the Mises Caucus is. I'm a part of it because um, I'm a libertarian. I believe in private property rights. I believe in the non-aggression principle. I want to see, you know, the state drastically reduced. The Mises Caucus, I believe, had a, had a strategy in their platform that was um, different than, you know, kind of like a reorienting of which way to go with the Libertarian Party focus more on issue coalitions, focus on not like, you know, every single issue, but kind of like narrow down what issues we focus on, which are issues that I think even everyone in this podcast is probably going to agree with. Um, The the saying is kind of like there's 80% we agree on and then 20% that we don't. And let's focus on the 80% that we have commonality on. Get that out of the way. If we manage to get that 80% done, then we can go back to bickering over that remaining 20. But my, my suspicion. We spend 80% of the time bickering over the 20. 
fact. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that is a fact. Yeah. So, you know, the Mises caucus platforms, it's like, uh, not in the exact order on the website. I'm going off memory here. Uh, the wars, obviously, the Federal Reserve, the war on drugs, uh, decentralization, nullification, uh, anti-identity politics, um, and, you know, property rights being the foundation of libertarian principles. Those are the things that uh, the Mises Caucus focuses on as far as like the message that we want to put out there. And then uh, the strategy that we implement is mainly on the local level to do what's kind of like the 10th Amendment Center strategy, which is basically the, the nullify the shit out of the federal and state governments, anything that they have passed that's unconstitutional. Um, and those being kind of like the primary first steps towards moving things towards decentralization. And, you know, ultimately, I'd like to see secession. I'd like to see uh, that, you know, I mean, I know that's a dirty word for a lot of people, but not for me. I'd like to see a, a free society where people are more self-governing. Um, so really, you know, states secede, then counties secede, and then, you know, the more and then eventually people just don't believe in the state. That'd be ideal. I'm an anarchist, but also a realist. I don't know how far we can push it if we can make everybody enough people not believe in a state to completely get rid of it. Maybe we can only as anarchists push and society will only give us to the point of minarchy. I'd be happy with that compared to what we have now. But that's my involvement in the Mises caucus here. And in, 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 in as far as like why I joined here in PA, I help, you know, with recruiting new people to join the caucus and then the parties, and then also helping to organize support for local candidates. And the Mises caucus, you know, it's been around since like, I think 2017 is when it started. And, um, you know, I think it does a lot of good work. Um, we donated, you know, We've donated tens of thousands of dollars to candidates. I think this year our goal, and I think we're on track. You know, I, I don't, I haven't checked the numbers lately. I know over like 2019 to 2020, we spent I think close to or over 20,000 um, on on candidates, and we're looking to do do more, increase that amount. Um, so uh, I think we do good work. It doesn't mean that I think you know, like any group, like any entity, I think we can. Uh, say I'm a member of this. I identify a, a, as this as part of this group. Doesn't mean that everything that happens, you know, in the group, whether it's the actions or words of individual members or even of leadership, is always going to be perfect. Doesn't mean it's always going to be something that I agree with. Um, that's just life. But I think more often than not, I find that I'm in agreement with them and that they are uh, doing things that I find to be beneficial for liberty. So that's that's my take on it. Grant, do you want to? to add anything to that and then we can let John and Josh chime in as they want. No, I, I, I'm really kind of feeling as a moderator at this point, because um, as you know, probably I don't want to give a bunch of background about myself, but I'm pretty much totally off of social media. Um, if this podcast or viewing YouTube, like, you know, I watch Josh, um, you know, I watch part of the problem. I watch figuratarians. Um, I watch, like I, I watch a little bit of everything. Um, and I, okay. So a little like background about me in terms of the party, I've been with the party since 2016. Um, and that was, um, pre Mises and I, I kind of saw it formed and I'm not saying I took a step back from it. It wasn't really delivered. It was simply because I'm off of social media and, uh, Jacob, we, um, and, um, Adam Nutter and, um, Rob, we're at my house uh, with doing the uh, doing a podcast there, and I was just like, all of this, uh, like, 
there's this concept of extremely online. And now the party, the LP is extremely online. If you're not, if you're not in the trenches on Facebook, if you're not on the trenches on Twitter, then you're really out of the loop. And I was like, you know, what do I, what do I get out of any caucus? Um, if I'm, if their main, <laughs> one of their main arms, one of their main uh, endeavors is, is social media or um, messaging. Um, so I kind of, a, this is kind of a cool um, forum. He's talking about your mic. Oh. Oh, okay. Do I sound better now? That's yeah, a little better. You <laughs> sound a little, you sound sound a little closer echoey. to it. <laughs> What's that? I said you sat closer to it, of course. Nope. You sound like you're talking through like a socks. I didn't know if maybe you didn't have your uh, your mic selected because in StreamYard, which we're using, if you click like on cam and mic, sometimes it, it'll default to the wrong microphone. I assure you, this is not a sock account. Um, <laughs> but this is uh, like what I was saying is like that uh, Jacob, you know, I've been friends with for a uh, couple years now, um, and the way the the way that I view it, like almost the Mises caucus has become the youth wing of the party. And, you know, that's where I see younger people and where I see enthusiasm. Um, that being said, I see where John comes from sometimes in, in calling out, you know, you know, this, this, some of the stuff is just not libertarian. Um, when I see, uh, like things on borders or, um, like, uh, what aboutism or, or um, making excuses for like January 6th. Like I see that from certain corners of, of mostly individuals. Um, so I don't know, I guess kind of talk about that. That's what I would say. Yep. So, and, and, you know, John, you, you used to be a member of the caucus and then you left. I, even more than a member. I was, you were a moderator. Like, I was a moderator. I was invited to the leadership meetings and all that. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I so, wrote a whole article on why I left. I can I could talk about that if you want me to. I could pass on that if you want me to. It's all up to you. Yeah, I mean, we could you know talk a little bit about that if you like. You know, that's been gone down before. But yeah, you know, give the give the Reader's Digest version of uh, of of why you left. I guess. So first, why I joined. Um, I'm I consider myself a radical. Um, I always have considered myself a radical. And I was pretty turned off by the Johnson Weld campaign. I, especially because of Weld, I didn't even, I didn't vote in 2016. I was just like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I think I signed like a petition to recall Weld uh, a few days before the election. And well, originally I thought the Mises, I was like, ah, I don't know about the Mises caucus. Like I, I joined the group to kind of see what was going on in there. Cause I was running fake retariant at the time. And then they actually had a better handle on things than I thought they would when they first started. And it did seem like they wanted to kind of push things in a radical direction. And they were all talking like in general about libertarian principles. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. And it seemed like, especially as more and more people started to join and it, it kind of became a quantity over quality thing. Um, I noticed, especially it was especially with the, the Tom Woods, Dave Smith, uh, like membership drive. And I was seeing this as a moderator, like the, the people that were coming in every day. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm a radical libertarian. It was like these people like one of the well, I'll cut to the chase here. Uh, one of the reasons I I stopped being a moderator, I think it was November of 2019. 
because I was kind of fed up with the direction. I didn't, I'm not a fan of Maj Torre. I'll just say that out loud. Uh, he's, he doesn't seem like he actually understands libertarianism. He's talking about how borders are like a house and stuff like that. And how we need to be like the movie black Panther because there's nationalism and stuff like that. Um, so I, I stepped down as a moderator and then I figured, okay, I'll, I'll stick around still a bit and try to improve things. But like I said, the people that were coming in, I was noticing like a lot of it. I don't want to get into definitions right now and we can, you can call it alt-right, you can call it dissident, right, whatever. But I was seeing a lot of that coming in and I got into an argument with Heiss about it one day in the Mises caucus group. And he was like, name one. Uh, he said, he just said like, name one alt-righter. And I was like, okay, fine. There's this Jesse Miller guy here. Uh, and I know, I know Jesse was brought in by Dave, I believe, but um He's a guy who goes around saying Europe. He he uses like little like code phrases. It was kind of like thinly veiled stuff. He would say like Europe is for Europeans and libertarians need to do more about race as it relates to, uh, I think it was IQ, criminality and social cohesion. Uh, he was talking about how we need to ban all immigration to the US. And I was like, here's one for you right here. This guy's, I mean, it's pretty textbook all right. And I just got pissed at me for it saying like, oh, no, he's actually, he just has a different cultural preference. And I'm like, no, this guy, like, if you look at the definition, this is the the white identity politics stuff, the bordertarian stuff. And it, it was actually ironic because Heist doubled down on defending this guy uh, several times. And then a few days later, I uh, some people from Fakertarians unearthed some screenshots of this guy just going off about Jews and talking about how they run the world and stuff like that. And then he was eventually kicked for that, but that, and I, I mean, I want to be clear that this is like the very abbreviated version of the story. And it's not just like one guy that made me leave. It was a pattern for me. Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah, I remember that saga. I don't know. Grant, even when you were on social media, I don't know how much you paid attention to stuff. So I don't know if you remember any of this or stuff at all, but, but I, I was in the group when that stuff happened. I wasn't an active member of the caucus, like, doing anything in in the caucus or the lp but i saw that stuff go down personally and i think i talked about this when i was on your podcast last year um you know i, I kind of side with heist on this one i feel like until the worst stuff came out about like him actually kind of like say like going real heavy about raving about the jews that he didn't say anything that i i mean he didn't say anything to me that violated libertarian principles to the point where i thought that uh the person needed to be removed um you know this kind of goes into like what is the purpose of the group and while we want to like there, there's a balance that needs to be kind of worked to achieved where like you know you're bringing people in and you want them to at least be liberty adjacent if all you did was attract people who are already pure radical libertarians like well you're gonna run out of that pretty quick because we're a minority so you know you gotta if you're trying to grow the movement grow the party you have to be willing to bring people in who aren't perfect. I mean, Grant remembers when I kind of first joined the movement, he met me kind of early on in my libertarian movement. Wasn't I wasn't perfectly principled back then. I was actually, you know, pretty terrible on borders back when he when he first met me. Um, and, and I was even still kind of like struggling with the idea of not having the state be involved in abortion. So I remember like, you know, you Grant, you remember you, you came to my house down where I lived in Shrewsbury and we had one of our little local libertarian meeting uh, area get togethers. And 
Um, you know, I was like down with taxation, taxation is theft. I was down with, you know, like I kind of loosely was embracing more ANCAP ideas, but I was kind of struggling with like, all right, but eh, like, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I was still very shallow in my understanding of libertarian philosophy. But to me, what got me to read more, to know where to go to get more of the answers to this stuff, and what made me willing to have my mind changed was being in a culture of people who weren't like demonizing me and attacking me uh, for for views I had, but rather just kind of patiently over time challenging me in ways and you know building relationships with me, and that that you know got me to the point where I'm at today, and um, I've seen that happen a lot in the Mises Caucus spheres doesn't mean it's perfect because i mean again nothing's perfect um and you know there are some people who join the group who probably don't join to be productive sometimes people to join groups because they want to shit post and you know be on social media and play the social media game you know so there's a little bit of that in there and then it's you know as a you know the, the moderators i'm just one of you know a, a number of moderators and admins on the facebook page you know and now, as time's gone on, we've started to get a bit stricter only because Facebook's been threatening to remove our group. But for a while, we tried to play things pretty, you know, like, listen, you guys are adults and we don't want to be the uh, police of what people say. So we kind of like didn't intervene and do anything unless something got really, really out of hand. Um, that was just kind of our our policy. But I think I think the problem, you know, like my my problem is I feel like you, John, and Josh, I want to get you talking here a little bit too soon and get your perspective on it because you're, you know, even more of an outsider to a lot of this stuff than sure. even Grant is. Um, but to me, I, I feel like there's this problem where people view social media as real life. And it's like, you know, the people who are showing up to uh, caucus events, who are showing up to county meetings and who are actively involved in participating in both cauc the caucus and from the caucus getting involved in the LP, like there's not a, um, it's not like they're, they're a bunch of Republicans or a bunch of like, I don't know, like Chris Cantwell types. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it, they're, they're pretty much all libertarians. Now there are, you know, it doesn't mean that they all have the same views. Some of them are minarchists, some of them are anarchists and some of them have different views on borders, but um, you know, not everyone is strictly for open borders. Some of them, are still kind of like, well, I think we need some minimal border control and shouldn't just let everybody come in. Um, but I don't think that what we see on on Facebook or on or on Twitter is always necessarily indicative of like the entire, you know, like, you know, th that sample is going to be different than the sample that you get as far as like the people who show up and do do the work um, is, is my take on it. Uh, Hilditch, what is your, you know, your opinion of the, uh, I, I, as you Brits call it, I guess, the Mises Caucus. I don't know. Don't know. Mises we'll, Caucus, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll have you to, have to, we'll have to get me. to that, too, because I'm, and more than anything, I'm offended by your pronunciation there, because it's just. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, maybe you can give me a blessing or something. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I only really got to know the Mises Caucus about six to 12 months ago. But every single experience I've had, you know, and to be fair, you were talking about we're all online. Everything's on social media, and that's true. I agree with that, and I think that's kind of a toxic atmosphere to be in. But every single time I see something from the Mises Caucus, it's something like Jeremy Koifman saying what he said the other day. Now, do you not think that contributes to the 80-20 argument you were talking about before, that we're always talking about the 20, but we're always talking about the 20 because someone comes out and says the N-word on Twitter like it's an okay thing to do. 
What do you yeah. think? Uh, what do I think about his tweet is what you're asking? Well, me? no, I mean, th- that's or... the kind of thing that contributes to breaking the discussion down. Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's Twitter for, for one. I mean, there's, right. there's a lot of, I mean, um, for every example I can think of where there's people who might be Mises associated who say dumb things on Twitter or Facebook, I've also encountered people who are who are not Mises or who are in, you know, fakertarians groups or circles, you know, like because on Twitter you can see who follows who and and whatnot. And uh yeah, there's John, you know, this there's, guy there's, contributes to the Mises caucus, right? He's like a big contributor. John, what is he again? I know he's a member and he's uh he's he was involved right? in the, the whole He's in, he's involved in New Hampshire, Hampshire but he, he's more of a free state project guy, is where his his okay. biggest focus is. So, you know, again, there's there's different and, and this is you know, a little bit confusing because like membership uh, in the Macy's caucus is a bit uh, decentralized. There's, there's different levels of membership and different types of membership. And uh, there's people who are just like, Hey, I give five bucks a month and I'm a, you know, like a, a donating member. There's people who are members that, you know, like, Hey, they're a member of our Facebook groups and social medias. Then there's people who are members, but they're like more member member just on a state level and don't do much right. on the national level. So, you know, Kaufman isn't someone who's running for office. He's not somebody. Right. Who's... But I mean, you asked from an outsider's perspective and I see him as sort of affiliated with the Mises caucus and coming out with that kind of crap. Though I didn't know much about the Mises caucus, and then I see this guy coming around running his mouth like that, I automatically think, wow, these guys are pretty bad, as right. you can imagine. I mean, to be fair, I mean, Kaufman's message, although it's not a message that I would personally put out. Oh, um, shit message, you... man. Come on, it was rubbish. So, <laughs> so the, Such the, a dumb to, thing to say. To, uh, to, par- to paraphrase it, and I'm not going to use the word just to not offend anybody, uh, he was basically saying that we should not treat uh, you know, black people, people of color, as if they are fragile and that a word is going to break them. And we should also, you know, I think he's also kind of speaking from a, you know, certain sense of like, let's not give so much power to words or so much power to being offended by, by words. I think that if you use that word in a derogatory fashion to purposely describe someone who is a person of color, that's pretty shitty. If you're using that word in an attempt to make a point or demonstrate a point or, you know, so like my background is my dad's a pastor and he traveled around from state to state. He even traveled to Africa a few times over my life. I never went with him, but I got to go into a lot of different environments across the country. And a lot of the, what, so a lot of um, Africans who have moved from Africa to America start their own churches here and he would help facilitate that. So he helped start a lot of churches in New York uh, some down sure in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and when you go and you hang out in more urban environments, even in urban church environments, the music that a lot of uh, people listen to, the the language that they, they use, um, it's not always the, the cleanest, not always the most PG or, or family friendly. Um, and so I actually got to, you know, so then for about a three year period, I went to a church down in Baltimore and we hung out down there a lot. And yeah, the youth, they were not, I mean, just because it's a church doesn't mean that they're all like, you know, devout, you know, Bible reading and like, you know, goody two shoes kids. Like, you know, they're still kids. Right. So the, you know, when you eat, hang out and stuff at people's houses and stuff like you, like, you know, when when you go to someone's church, you hang out with the families and stuff as kids. And yeah, I actually had like they would use the N word a lot and they would encourage me because like I was like, like, uh, that, like I was a little uncomfortable by it. And they were like, no, Jacob, come on, like, just just call me it. Just 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 say, hey, you're my 
you know, <laughs> knocker. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> Jake, and, Jacob, and I'd be I'm like, really... no, I don't, I don't want to do it. And it'd be like, so like, I don't know how much exposure so, you've had to different cultures, Josh, but like, that quite is a something... lot, buddy. <laughs> I live in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so, so, but my point is that um, even within the black community, there's a lot of people who, who look at that word and it's like to them, it's not so much, if you use the word, but the context and the way you use it. So listen, the I don't Kaufman, think that was his point, though. And no, I, don't I think, think that was exactly his point. Did, did your dad go to Africa and just start using the N-word everywhere? Like, no. And you, What does this say? Save your, your dumb culture war, war until after we figured out how to make the government obey the Constitution. <laughs> I'll tell I'm, the French. I'm not, I'll tell I'm the French. A, I'm not a minarchist. I'm an anarchist, but... I mean, it would be a start, right, Jacob? It would be a start, yes. And so, like, that that's another um, important thing to bring up here, too. Now, listen, if, if I had Kaufman here in front of me, I might go, hey, if I was in your shoes, although I agree with where you're coming from, it's not something that I feel like that's a hill that I need to go and die on right now or, or, or okay. talk about. But, you know, he's his own individual. He's free to do what he wants. Um, but I don't know if what Jeremy Kaufman – does or says on Twitter is should be any of our our highest priorities. When, no, I, you know, I didn't just... really. What I said is it contributes to that divide of the eighty twenty. You know, that's one example. That was the easiest example I could bring up because it happened a few days ago, and you and I had a discussion. Well, so, about so it. let me let me let me push back a little bit in this in a different way. His him, him putting something out there that you guys don't like might contribute to the fighting, but I think. It's also fair to say that the to me, and this is a criticism I have of Fakertarians, I've told Josh and others this, that I think that what Fakertarians does is promote uh, is promote that fighting and that fighting over the 20% from the opposite direction. And to me, what I would like people to do is to say, listen, if, if somebody says something, whether you find it offensive, whether you find it distasteful, you think the priorities are not correct – I think the best course of action to think the adult thing to do in the libertarian movement is to ignore it and to do your own thing. And there's two reasons for that. One, uh, as you know, from an Austrian economics perspective, time is scarce, right? Like we only have so much time. We only have so much energy. The more energy we spend upset over each other, upset over things that we say, the less time we are putting towards more productive ends. B, if you're worried about, somebody reading that and going wow i don't like that well the way social media works is that the more you react to something the more exposure it get it gets so actually you know spike cohen talked about this on the tower power hour the other night and i think he's 100 percent correct which is like the best thing you can do when you don't like something is really just to look the other way and move on because the more because even like i don't kaufman is a little bit of an edgelord sometimes and there are people who i think are even worse than him in terms of like being edgelords and and they almost like you know trolls and edgelords online like they actually like the attention so when people get upset with them that just incentivizes them to do it more and then b what you're doing is increasing the range at which the messages that you think are bad are going to be seen by people whereas if for every time people jumped on a bandwagon on social media going after a bad message they just went out and every single one of them put out a good message well the good messages would completely overwhelm the bad so then somebody could be like okay well this one guy said something that's idiotic but then a hundred people said something that's amazing versus what people now see which is gosh these people can't just stop fighting with each other all the time and i think grant's point point is really well taken which is like you know shouldn't we have better priorities right now 
while there's a lot of evil shit going on and like you know like and i think all of us here are anarchists of a even if we are of different flavors but we're all anarchists and you know grant's like even as an anarchist i just want him to get back to the constitution that's still not far enough in in our opinions but that'd be at least a good start we're so far off the reservations there so to me it's like you know if somebody says i don't like something sometimes there are things that people say that jo- that you, Josh, or you, John, will complain and say, I don't like that. Grant's come to me and said, hey, I don't, I, you know, about things in the caucus and go, I don't like that. And sometimes there's things that I don't like, but it's like, all right, we can, we have three options, ignore it. Or the other productive thing would be if you do think it's a problem, talk about it in private, see if you can come to some kind of resolution. When you air it out in public over Twitter, I don't think that is an incent- you're creating incentive structures that lead to any kind of positive change. What you're doing is just promoting more infighting and getting all of us to take our eyes off the ball. Um, so I think I've, I, so. That's my little bit of a rant. Yeah, I, I don't uh, think you can get away with it though, because as I actually agree with Grant that social media is probably the worst thing that happened to politics. You know, because you used to go yeah. to say a convention yeah. or something, you'd have a discussion, and you you were to go there and you'd be talking about the eighty percent, right? But now that there's this far reach of social media, the 20% is most prevalent because the 20% is the thing that's getting posted all the time. Yeah, but right? we can't. So, so like, let's say that, I agree no, But with that's you. just social media. That's just what social media has done. Well, it's right, polarized but, everything so badly. Unless people, we're going to go full anarcho-primitivists here, we're not going to get rid of social media. Oh, no, media, oh, hell no, so. hell no. No, 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 no. Oh, I like no. antibiotics. Antibiotics are cool. Yeah. Antibiotics are dangerous technology. That must I like vaccines. I mean, <laughs> I'm happy to live in a tree. No, but so but that's my, my, my point, though, them. just being, even if I agree with you that social media is a, 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 um, a negative actor, like a negative factor in this equation, it's not something that we have control over as far as like we can't get people off social media what we can do as individuals and as individuals within our respective groups is do our best to you know not make we can, i don't think i don't know if we can make social media like positive but we can do our best to to do damage control and make it as as the least amount of toxic that it will be and to put out as much good content as we can josh's comment this is this is tangential but josh's comment about uh, social media being the worst thing ever for politics uh, is well taken um, because it's made politics a lot more populist on both the left and the right. Great. Um, the the demagogue or the archetype on the left would be Bernie Sanders and the archetype on the right would be Donald Trump, um, even though I, I you might be able to debate that a little bit. But it's just, um, you know, government by majoritarian tyranny or uh, government that we're going to weaponize the state and we're going to give you, uh, we're going to use it to advance our agenda and, um, you know, not protect, um, not, I don't want to say, I'm not using this in like, a, like minorities when I say like, like um, people of color or something like that, but we're like, Screw everyone else. We're going to, you know, on the left, give you free stuff, uh, free college, um, you know, house you, feed you, all that. And then on the right, we're going to have socialized borders and pretty much all that stuff, but just for the right people who have a U.S. passport or whatever. I mean, it's 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 really done a lot of damage. And I'm not talking like I'm not trying to advocate. Maybe I'm in a way for like 
Jeffersonian democracy where, you know, I, I would say all of us are more learned about politics and, and understand that nuance rather than on Twitter, me want free schools, me want, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 it's it's not serious policy. They don't care about policy. They don't care how they're going to pay for stuff, um, and, and they 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 don't care. Um, they don't care about process. That's that's why I like Justin Amash so much because he's pretty much like, hey guys, let's go back to the schoolhouse rock because basically everything now, like legislatures don't legislate. They don't they don't um, amend bills. They don't debate the bills. It's just. Uh, do we have the votes for this to pass? Okay, the party leadership told you to vote for this. If you don't um, vote for this, you're a pariah. So that's what that's what social media has done, and I can I can see the damage of it. And so then it takes that that microcosm, or well, it takes that that um, pretty much Cold War. It, it takes that 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 animosity and that growing polarization. And then in, within the LP, you have a microcosm of it. And I think in a way, John, I think you, you kind of feed into it. Would you, would you not agree with that? Feed into what, the microcosm you said? Yeah, just, just like dividing camps. Let me go back to what I said earlier. I, I was in the party in 2016. I had friends, like we didn't think in terms of, of, of caucuses, but now I have to be like, now, if I say this, then, you know, it's going to, you know, it, it might upset people in, in this faction, the party. If I say this, it might, or, or, or just not even, not even things dealing with policy, just, oh, I'm friends with this person. And we all used to be friends. And I want us to all be friends again. I, I miss that. I, I, I fundamentally love this party. I've never been one of those people to, like, systematically take a dump on it. I wasn't happy with Johnson Weld. I liked Gary Johnson a lot in 20, um, 2012. I thought he was really good, and I enthusiastically supported him. And I, I like Joe Jorgensen, too. And overall, like the, I, like, I come for the libertarianism, and I stay for the party, you know? I, and um, I don't know. I just feel Rob on one of the podcasts, um, I think it was, I don't know who you were interviewing, uh, Tim McMaster, Jacob. Yeah. And Rob was saying, oh, hopefully the caucus wars are done. I'm like, not until March. I and mean, like, like, they're not. They're not. So I want to start to break down those walls and bring it back to the LP that I I grew up with. Like, I've I'm, been I'm in the party for less than four freaking, like, barely one presidential cycle. And I'm already pining for the good old days. I mean, what is my problem? Why can't I get with the times and, 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 you're just a know. boomer. You're just a boomer, Grant. Yeah, I am. Uh, Amash for Amash, right? Or, uh, Amish, Amish for Amash. Amash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That domain is still that is still available. I like the Mises. Okay, I like the Mises Caucus for these reasons. One, my one of my fr most fondest memories was the end the Fed rally in Philly, and Luke and Constantine, and we were all there, and we had a great time. And we did a lot of outreach and it was, it was very special. And that was, that was like the nascent, the Mises caucus. It was awesome. I like the, um, the take human action back. Like I like the, the, the events in meat space. I had everyone come to my house because I wanted them to, we want to have a comedy show and, and we had Adam Nutter and it, it was awesome. 
And then you take it and you put it online and people are a little less inhibited and they just, they shit post all the time. It's just, I hate it so much. Well, the it's other like, reason, uh, well, I'm you, sorry. Well, you, fin no, you, you finished Grant. I don't want to cut you off. I was on a, I was on a roll there. I'm, I'm almost out of breath. So uh, <laughs> take a deep breath. I don't think the, John's the, really contributed that heavily to it. I think he reacted to things like, you know, gross anti-Semites and walked away as good people should do. Yeah, I'm, I can, I can I'm talk about some of So I have, I have like 8 million things written down right now. Cause I feel like we've touched on so many different things, <laughs> but I'll try to stay on this topic right now. Um, so the Mises caucus was always kind of an us versus them thing, at least even when I was part of it. I mean, it was always like, we have to change the party. Like, these are our enemies. We have to, we have to take over. We have to well, put that, our that group into power. Aimed at was the that? establishment, I think. I don't think it was aimed at the membership. Well, so it was much, aimed but... at, well, I mean, what's the establishment? I mean, it was aimed at, I, I mean, I've had my issues with these groups too, but it was aimed at the Pride Caucus. It was aimed at Sarwark. It was aimed at all of them. It was to install their of, own There people. was a lot of other people that were anti-Sarwark though. Wasn't just no, the Mises Caucus that was, but carry no, on. I, I don't, I don't disagree, but I'm I'm just saying that that's what the Mises Caucus was. What Mises Caucus was, it was an attempt to really change the direction of the party. Like whether you like that direction or you don't like that direction, it's always there's always been kind of a clash there. Yeah, sure. But as far as the um, the thing about just ignoring things, I mean, I I totally disagree. I think when we have something put out there, especially from like someone prominent in the movement, and it's just pretty gross i i think we should be loud about condemning it because other people are people are going to see it regardless of, uh, if i'm screenshotting it or tweeting it out or what and at least at least if i'm saying something about it they can see that there's some dissenting view towards it like let's let's put oh do you want to say something it, you know it's interesting that you that like that's a very nick sarwak um sarwak uh, um i don't know you know it's interesting that, but a lot of Mises circles, I think what you're describing is actually virtue signaling. And I think you're saying that it's not actually a problem. Like if right. you have good virtue, you want people, you, um, you want to encourage that behavior. I think, I think that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, no, Whereas I, um, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think it gets into the slacktivism. I, I talked about that on the last po podcast. It's like, it's like, Slacktivism, like, are we really making a, a difference? And are we, um, at, at some point, like, there's, there's, there's freedom of speech, and there's the spirit of freedom of speech, and we have to always defend freedom of speech. Part of the reason that the party is unable or unwilling to um, censure or reprimand people for edgelording, whatever you want to call it, is because we're fixated on spirit of freedom of speech. And I think, are you concerned about that? Is, is that? Oh, abso absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it should be tough for us to condemn, like, let's say, for instance, the Massachusetts Mises Caucus account calling their critics a Jewish slur the other day, saying rootless cosmopolitans, which has its, uh, has its origins in Stalin's uh, attacks on Jews in the 40s. And it's, it's been kind of been picked up by the alt-right the last few years, which is why I'm familiar with it, running the Fakertarians page. They said that the people uh, in the, I believe it was in the Massachusetts Libertarian Party who were concerned about them were rootless cosmopolitans. And like, why can't we, why can't we just all agree? Like, that's not a good thing to say. I mean, you're going to, you're going to turn people off 
throwing slurs out there like that. Right. And also I, showing I'm dissent to that kind of. So I'm, just... I'm a proud, rootless Cosmocarian, Cosmopolitan. I mean, I, I've been to most of the countries and. No, I'm not and, saying you America, specifically. And, and I, no, I take it, I, I would take that as a, as a badge of honor. It sounds like it. Um, I think. I don't know where I was going with that. I just, I just. I'll, I mean, I'm I think so. Proud. So I was, I was bothered by that tweet. Although I think that there are worse Jewish anti-Jewish slurs out there. No, I absolutely. mean, like there's so, but it's still, it, you it's know, still one. It, it's it, it is still one. I was not happy with it, and privately with within you know the caucus, you know, chats and stuff. Uh, yeah, there was a conversation about that. Um, you know, and and those are continuing conversations that we have as far as like how edgy we want to be. There are, you know, like I don't speak for like on this podcast, I want to be clear. I'm not speaking for the caucus. I'm speaking for myself. And there are, you know, various views within the caucus, which is like, well, yeah, but because there's there's a lot of different people and people are not always going to see eye to eye. Um, the point that the Massachusetts Massachusetts people tried to make was that that term was hijacked by the Soviets and, and it didn't always mean that. And that they were like, well, they were like, listen, we're just making a joke and they got some people's feathers ruffled, but like, you know, if this isn't important, we should move on to other stuff. And I was like, well, okay. Like at some point, yeah, I'm going to stop caring about this and move on to other stuff. But also I don't think that you need to say dumb things, but I think that there's a, a little bit of a, uh, yes, I can disagree with something somebody says and I can tell them I think it's bad. Where I think you go wrong, wrong, John, where I think Vicaritarians goes wrong is to make, A, to focus on it for any period of time that's too long and B, like, you've made it your identity. You've made, you, you've made calling out bad tweets and bad things on social media pretty much like, the entirety of what Fakertarians, the group, does, and what it comes what it comes across as as basically is like you guys are the self proclaimed virtue police of the libertarian movement, and you can be a hundred percent like let's say there was like something that came out, somebody said something, put a post out there, and you called it out, and I could one hundred percent agree with you. And you could be one hundred percent correct that that is a bad message that's contrary to libertarianism. but if your goal is to make the libertarian party and the libertarian movement better, I don't think that your efforts are uh, getting you closer to that goal. I think what you are doing is is more uh, what you're doing is, is getting people to um, what's the phrase I'm looking for here. They're uh, like it's like a, when you're in a trench warfare, like they're they're digging in more into their positions, right? Like that that seems to me all that Fakertarians has been able to accomplish. In, in in everything that you've done is is make things harder and make it harder for there to be any kind of effective communication where people can talk about like hey i didn't like this i disagree with what you did there and instead of people being more willing to hear each other out and have reasonable conversations about these things in in a private setting it's all public and well, it it's all at yeah um it should well, absolutely be public because it, people throwing jewish slurs out there i don't think we need to have a private quiet conversation about it. I don't think that's acceptable. I don't think people like that should be in the Libertarian Party. I think it's going to express like talking about we're talking about a Jewish slur specifically, but talking about anything. I think if there's bigots in the party, I think the people that their bigotry is aimed at are going to be turned off. And I don't think it's going to be 
useful for actually changing society. I don't think we're going to be able to, I think regardless, we're going to be caught up on the racism stuff. And it's not, I'm not saying that it's going to be me being caught up on the racism stuff or me bringing this stuff up, but when people see a bunch of racism and let's be real, whether you agree with it or not, there's been a reputation in the libertarian movement of having bigotry and racism issues for, for decades. Okay. And that still comes up today. And people are going to be people who actually care about that stuff are going to be turned off by it. And if they don't see people speaking out against that and they see people saying it, they're not going to want to even look at our ideas in the first place. Libertarians calling out other libertarians bigotry is a good thing because then actually the interesting thing is I was brought to fakeitarians because I, I can't remember who it was, but some guy made some outlandish comment and fakeitarians were the guys that were going, Hey, that's not us. That doesn't represent us you know, come up and find out what we're about. That's a good thing. You don't want to just sit there and nobody challenge it publicly. You got to say, whoa, hang on. That doesn't represent libertarianism. Shut the fuck up. That's well, a good not thing. even, again, I want to be, make sure I'm clear here. I'm not saying that there's never room for any public discourse on bad messaging, whether it be bigotry or, or something else. What I'm saying is that the role and the culture and, and the, in the, the, the means, the praxis of fakertarians, I think, is the main problem. It's not that I'm saying never I think ever. The speak, is the main problem. Um, again, if you and, and like, let's say, I'm trying to be as charitable as I can be here. If if I were to say, to some extent, I agree that there's a bigotry problem in the LP or even in the Mises Caucus, and I disagree with you on on well there might be some bigotry in the libertarian movement. I think there's bigotry just in the human population and, and like, you know, species in general. So, I mean, there's always going to be a small percentage of any group that's going to have some, you know, like there's bad apples in every bunch, right. As the saying goes, but the, um, the praxis by which you are trying to solve what you see as a legitimate problem, even if I agreed with you that it's a legitimate problem that needs solving I don't think your praxis is effectively solving it. I think what you're doing is creating a, a toxic environment where the incentives are actually not towards the things being solved, but more towards uh, people just being shitty with each other. You're promoting more of the, the call out culture and the back and forth kind of bantering that we see on social media in general, and then especially on in the, in the, in the libertarian social media spheres. So can I, can, can I talk about yeah. So I think a good example of what Jacob is talking about, and I don't know if you, if how closely affiliated the cathedral caucus is with Bakertarians, but I'm familiar with them. Okay. So having been off essentially social media since well before COVID, I come to the Pennsylvania convention only to find out that I've been endorsed by this entity that I have no knowledge of. And then I come to find out that this entity has it's only exists. It only exists to be counter to the Mises Caucus, and like they endorsed me unbeknownst to me. Like that. Like I, I don't even know these people. I don't even know what they exist for, but they exist simply to be adversarial to the Mises Caucus, and they ha they have nothing else well, to, I mean, to it's, offer. Now it's because they see I, the Mises Caucus as an issue, and I, I. Never, I I think the takeover uh, language was a huge mistake, and I'm I, I will count myself among one of those people. Um, 
and you can't be surprised when people see this this group of people as taking over when that's what they've they've stated they've done, even though they don't mean it in a um, we're a bunch of Republicans and we're going to take over. I mean, having talked yeah, to no, I, people, I agree with you. I, I I've also said I think it was a a bad move in hindsight. Right, but I'm just I very frustrated that they that. Okay, Mises Caucus. So, so now we need to have a counter to that. Like it didn't used to be that way. Like it didn't. It, it no, people weren't like the caucuses should face outward. Instead, they're all turned inward with their, the guns at each other. But and, I mean, what else can we do if we don't want two Bordertarians on our twenty-four or twenty twenty-four presidential ticket? Since the rumor is they're running Dave Smith and and Maj. Right, I, I mean, mean like, well. Well, how are do? you how are you defining bordertarian and i mean and this is maybe something we need to get into as well but i don't want to move too quickly off of the other topics we were talking about but um you know. i mean well dave kind of skirts around the issue he won't come out and tell you exactly what he's okay with he just kind of he drops hints maj is the whole borders are like a house thing and he wants to penalize businesses who uh higher yeah I undocumented mean, but, immigrants you know at the same time it's not like there's a giant you know there's there's not a lot of people left or right that you know if you press them the average american voter does not want totally open borders right now and it's not something that i think there's, a, could lot, even there's a lot who want relaxed immigration at the very well, least sure, and but I mean, even but even dave wants there to be a relaxed immigration where is he said want that? there be uh, I, I don't have you know i don't know why people think i'm Dave no, Smith's I know. I'm, I'm PR agent. I don't. I, I don't have I don't, a list of. I don't have a list of everything Dave has ever said. No, I, with I, the exact I understand citation, that, But I get that know. same thing where people call me out, like, "Where exactly was this?" And like, I've seen it before, but I can't find it. But I'm just saying, at least in my experience, I have not seen Dave say that he wants to. I mean, I've talked to Dave in person at the at the Pennsylvania convention, and when I talked to him, you know, we talked about immigration for, I don't know. 10, 15 minutes. And he's like, yeah, he's like, it's terrible that there's people who were locked up at the border. He said, it's also terrible that sometimes the environments that these people are fleeing from are so bad that the possibility of being locked up at the border is like something they're willing to risk. And like, he, he acknowledges all the horrible, th horrible things there. He said, I would love there to be a, a way for there to be like, not totally open borders, but an immigration system that like brings people in but not all at once but that's not like you know we're doing it in the most violent way po ways possible obviously he wants to end the war on drugs and uh and and a lot of the foreign policies a lot of things that contribute to making the immigration situation in situation at the border uh worse than it than it would need to be so i mean just because somebody is like hey listen i'm a libertarian in an ideal like like my my ideal vision for society to organize is anarchy, but we're not there yet. I don't know how we get there. And I'm skeptical about having totally open borders right now. I don't think that makes somebody a bordertarian. I mean, just to be completely frank. Now, well, it depends my, on what you're talking about. If you're talking about like, like some Ellis Island approach or something like that. Like, yeah, that's, that's fine. Like the security check. And but also the, like Dave doesn't like Dave's not like number one thing isn't immigration. Like, in fact, I don't, I can't no, recall. I it's, it's one of my top ones, but I know it's one of your top ones, but like, you know, and I had, I had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day. I was like, I really don't think I can recall one time where Dave, whether it was an episode or a speech or whatever said, you know what, I'm just going to talk about immigration completely like spur of the moment. No, uh, 
no no one's inciting me to talk about it. It's almost the only times I hear him talking about it are when it's brought up, whether it's on Twitter or his, you know, if, if he, like the time you went on his podcast and you guys talked about it. And maybe and that's he, an issue. Well, no, I don't think it is. And I think, you know, the like you remember the beginning when I talked about the things the Mises caucus focuses on, immigration isn't one of them because I don't think it is actually in that that category of 80% where we all agree on. There are some people who I mean, have disagreements who over we, borders. It depends on who and I also are. I also think that there is um in terms of like that 80% isn't just what we agree on. It's also like what are the most important things and also what are the things that are more immediately able to be changed in our in our country and society right now. And it's like I don't know that opening the borders is something that is is attainable and it certainly doesn't seem as attainable as like the other goals of like i think ending the war on drugs is is, is something that we've had more success on and could move towards um and i, I mean, think so i mean there's there, there's a lot of nuance there and i don't know what is productive about i mean you know being the gatekeeper for who gets to call themselves a libertarian i mean it just to me i mean the mises caucus does that too i, I, I think i think we do it but Go ahead, Grant. Um, so, like, how close do you, or perhaps, like, why why is immigration a, a near and dear issue to you, or is is it um, merely I, principle? Because I'll tell you why it's it's important to me. Okay, it's not anything personal. I just see okay. it as one of the worst abuses of the state. I think it there's a huge security state that comes out of it. It's poor people trying to come in and make a better life for themselves, and they're getting hunted down by ICE. There's ICE going door to door and hunting peace peaceful people down and it, it affects it doesn't just I don't like just focusing on Americans I like the idea of everyone like having having rights everywhere no, like, we, I don't, have, I don't, we have a Brit on the, on the show so. exactly so he, <laughs> he should be able to come here I mean it I had to show be, my passport don't believe Jacob it no, shouldn't it just actually, be like it was its passport was a temporary measure during World War one and it, and it's well, well, I just kicked killed edge off, off my Ooh. private property no, I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> what an asshole. But that your private property is not the border. What's that? Oh, no, no, listen. I mean, I am actually in agreement with you on this specific issue. I'm for open, but like in an idealistic sense, like I don't, th I think that the, so as an ANCAP, I want a society where the only borders are that of private property. So no matter what, while we have a state that has a political border, there's something that's being, you know, like muddying the water there as far as that. But I think that the consequences of closed borders are towards people's liberty are much greater than the consequences that come from open borders. I don't think the consequences towards liberty of open borders is zero. I just think that it's less than closed. So for me, it's just a I mean, simple I, of math. I think it's, it's the same as like letting, like there's, there's consequences to letting people have as many kids as they want too. That would be the same kind of things for letting in, in as many immigrants. I mean, there could be issues with welfare there. There could be population issues in certain areas there, and we don't stop that. So I guess I guess I'll, I'll bring up what I was going to get to the point with, first of all, my background with, with borders. I think I've had some very formative libertarian moments. One was um, my family would travel out west and we'd get an RV, and we were outside of El Paso, and we passed this checkpoint, and this, we weren't at a border, and it was one of these inland, um, you know, ice checkpoints. And I said, are you carrying any children? And they said, well, our son's in the back. And I said, can he come out? And I and they said, okay, come out. And they said, are you an American citizen? And I was like, 
yes. I'm like, okay, you're free to go. And I'm like, that was weird. And that was kind of pointless too. Um, and then later when, after I graduated college, I was traveling around Central America and I was at the border between um, Guatemala and Belize. I guess I was doing like a reverse John McAfee. And I was looking at it. I was just like, rest in peace. Rest in rest in peace. Rest in peace. Right. <laughs> God rest. John McAfee. He lived. He was here for uh, a good, not a long time. Um, <laughs> and um, shit antivirus, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still. I saw. I saw. I, I've seen those on clearance at like you know like the bottom shelves of like dollar stores and stuff lately. He oh, can't so even garbage product ever. You can't even un- un- uninstall the thing. But I, like I was saying, yeah. it itself was the virus. Yeah. And I was just like, is this, this is the thing that gives us so much comfort that we can sleep at night. Um, and I was just like, this is, this is so stupid. And we, we spend, so I guess John is, um, do you think that we don't spend enough attention on the dip, the nuance between immigration and naturalization? Because I, I, I do have some objective objections. I actually have a lot of objections to naturalizing everyone because what, so we're anarchists. So what's the benefit to naturalization? Well, you get to vote. Oh, great. I can't wait to choose between uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. What a great choice. Uh, you get to pay tax, like you pay, well, non-citizens pay taxes too. They definitely mm-hmm. do. Um, and I get social security and welfare so like we shouldn't be encouraging that you know no i i get the differences between immigration and naturalization but it also like it wouldn't be the biggest i'd like i obviously i don't think citizenship should exist in the first place since i don't believe in the idea of the united states in the first place but i'm not i'm not that concerned about an immigrant getting citizenship because like a, a child gets citizenship now anyway. Like if it's between them getting citizenship and them being deported or locked in a cage somewhere, like, okay, yeah, I'll give them citizenship. That's fine with me. It's not, I'd rather just anyone be able to come and go as they please without any of that, but that's not the reality we're in right now. But do you, do you think that people in the LP, I don't want to say libertarians, but people in the LP that are bordertarians, um, do you, do you think their concerns are well founded that like you can't have a a, a a welfare or you can't have open borders without a welfare or you can't have a open borders and a welfare state? Not like, particularly. You, I mean, I've seen I've seen studies before, and I'm probably I might be misquoting it a little bit, but something about how when there's a more heterogeneous pub, uh, population, the population is more likely to disfavor a welfare state. And we could talk about the. I mean, I'm sure there's different. Uh, reasons for that but i don't think i don't think immigrants are that big of or i don't even, i don't think immigrants are a drain on the system i think they contribute a lot to the economy i mean i think they're already paying taxes in many cases so i, I mean i don't even think a lot i mean some of the bordertarians are saying the stuff about the welfare state but then there's the that other whole group of people that uh is concerned about racial demographics and and stefan molyneux and stuff like that um, so it really it varies from person to person. I know I know Hoppe himself actually said that the welfare state argument for being anti-immigration is actually a bad argument. 
Yeah, I think it's a terrible art. When, when I had Molyneux on my show and he made that argument and I tried, I mean, it was like, it was dumb. And I tried to push him on immigration. He just kind of dodged my question. Yeah, I, I, I watched that. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I mean, because to me, I thought, I thought my argument was pretty, it was like, I was like, I set it up. I was like, we're against covid passports and i think everyone here is against covid passports and i was like why and it was like uh, you know good reasons why we're against covid passports because like the government doesn't have a right for any reason to tell you you can't leave your home and you can't travel and do this and that just because you don't have this piece of paper or you didn't you know get a jab in your arm or whatever and it's like okay cool so why is it different for political borders it's just like uh, well he's worried about the brown well, kids in elementary well, school well, so <laughs> You know, it's, you know, and my personality is I, I'm generally pretty nice and level headed towards people. So, I mean, I pushed him a little bit, but then I was like, okay, I'm not going to like derail my podcast for the next hour trying to like push him as much as I wish. could. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's your role, John. You got to get him on. Oh, now, okay. now it's our role. Oh, so we all use for the No, no, no. Listen, if you, if you, no, no, no. Actually, I, I will say this: if Fakertarians, instead of promoting what I call like this kind of like weird call-out culture and policing, instead just said, "Hey, we're going to bring people on and have debates and conversations," I still, I think that'd be like ten times more productive than what you guys do. We're going to call them on frank. and then, sorry, bring them on and then call out their positions on borders. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I thought, Jacob, I know you you showed a lot of restraint, but I know that you, Molyneux was, was, a, was a formative figure, um, and he used to be really good at, um, in, in terms of, like, sharing libertarian thought and libertarian philosophy. Well, he's still, what's, what's weird, if you watch that episode, was, like, the first half of it was, like, that sounded like the Molyneux that I remember before he went kind of crazy. And like he was actually, you know, like perfectly making the arguments for for anarchism and self-ownership and, and you know, connecting yeah, he, it to Christianity. And so it's like that stuff is still there. It's just he has it mixed in with all this, you know, like I, I actually would like if Molyneux is a bit more of what I would classify in that bordertarian camp than 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 Dave Smith. Um, Maj is a bit of a bordertarian too. I kind of agree with you there, but it's just, you know, to me, immigration is, you know, I view it as uh, a wedge issue, not as much as abortion is, but it's in that same camp. It's like issues that there's, you know, there, there is not uniformity. Um, and we could, we, we could focus on those issues and get nowhere. Or, you know, I just think like if we focus on the 80% that like we, cause I, I mean, you know, I don't know many libertarians that when I say, hey, the Mises caucus wants to end the war on drugs, they go, oh, no, we have to put people in jail for marijuana. And when I say the Mises caucus, you know, we we want to we want to end the war to get America to stop being the uh, the international police and doing all this nation building and dropping bombs on people and contributing to the genocide in Yemen. Is anyone's like, no, war. I mean, other than uh, Austin Peterson. But, um, I mean, there's one. <laughs> no, there are people like that. It depends on what group you're talking about with the uniform. But it's usually I mean, it's usually a, it's like a couple oddballs out but, there. Right, I, I see a lot more division over immigration and abortion. Well, but there's a lot of conservatives who call themselves libertarians because they think it's cool. That's true. I mean, there is. There's also That's leftists true. that call themselves libertarians. There's, they there's think some, but I don't think it's. I wouldn't say it's as prominent. There's just Brit here. I, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, you want a boxing match, don't you? <laughs> you want to do 1776 again, yeah? <laughs> Josh, we'll do, we'll do rugby. Rugby's more fun than boxing. Oh, well, <laughs> that's my game, mate. Josh, would you say that if you go to like I studied abroad in Chile, 
And I, yep. I, I explained I was a libertarian, and they immediately assumed I was talking about a left libertarian. Yes, uh, that's and, because the the history of libertarianism in Europe is comes from the left traditionally, right? So in America, your libertarianism came from the right, right? So. I guess you could argue the founding fathers were somewhat libertarian and they were traitors. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was actually, more of sort of I, like... This is where we actually more, agree. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was more of like an anti-tax, anti-regulation sort of libertarian movement, whereas the left one was sort of, a, you know, it was opposed to the aristocracy in France and Britain and, and whatnot. You had John Stuart Mill and people like that. And yeah, you could probably say that they were either in the centre or more to the left. Um, but well, that doesn't mean that you don't find... And caps in Europe, there's plenty of them. Most of them, you know, all over it. Hapa, if you want to call the, them one. The the the, the damn rich fought. The, the, sorry, the damn the damn rich fought a war to, to keep us safe from the French, and they were like, "Hey, can you help pay for this?" And we said, "No, screw you!" And then we fought a second war and got and got rid of them. And I don't think it's been for the better. I don't think the Constitution uh, ended just, up just being Just so better. everyone on the podcast knows, he's actually an MI6 agent. He's a plant. He works for me. <laughs> we're taking you over again. No, but I just want to bring um, up Molyneux with you, actually, Jacob, because you, you constantly sort of say some good things about him. If he's so anarchist, why did he endorse uh, Marine Le Pen in France, who's definitely not an anarchist? I don't I don't know who that is. So, I mean, OK, she's an extremely far right politician that is like very, very pro big government, like okay. complete I mean, antithesis to what we believe in. Yet he says, I want her to become president. Why? I think that all anarchists who get engaged in politics end up at some point compromising on certain politicians. That doesn't mean that Molyneux's compromises are good compared to others. You could certainly criticize his compromises. But in general, if somebody says my end goal is a society where the state has been abolished and I believe in the non-aggression principle and self-ownership. He doesn't. I, That's I, why I, he told everyone to co-vote for Marine Le Pen. He, she's going to grow the government. He's saying, I, I don't want to state, except when it comes to France. Come on. Again, I don't know enough about the situation there to give too much more of a comment other than my general rule, which is I don't define. Because like, if we define anarchists by you have to be anarchist in your praxis, then I think even engaging in libertarian party politics would make you a bad anarchist. Um, yeah, but think, you guys want to shrink the state. He's supporting someone who wants to grow it massively. There's a I, complete I mean, contrast. Listen, I mean, I don't think that Molyneux is perfect. I didn't say... Oh, he's definitely that, not perfect. I didn't say Molyneux is is the 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 pinnacle of, of anarchist philosophers and voices out there. Um, I also don't think he's the worst person in the world. And when I had an opportunity to have on my podcast, I, you know, having you guys on my podcast, I've had people from the left and the right on my podcast. I pretty much am willing to talk to anybody who's willing to devote an hour to an hour and a half uh, of their night to come in and talk to me about something. Um, so, and I mean, even, I always, even with, I I even with, though, you did I seem to mock, I saw Sorry. a little bit of it. Uh, you did seem to mock the idea that he's a racist. No, I mocked the idea that he's a eugenicist. You said, I saw, I, I heard racist a few times. But he also, time. I mean, like, so Molyneux has a video on his on his main page 
where he's called he's called like what I believe and the truth about Stefan Molyneux. And, you know, he like, you know, you guys complain that sometimes the people in like even the Mises caucus don't want to do what we call like these performative things where you get up and go, I denounce this and I denounce that. That's basically what he does for an hour. And like he says, like, I denounce racism. It's collectivism. It's irrational. It's repugnant. Okay, but that doesn't... We should judge people by individuals. I'm against you. you, you, you okay, that's all. That's all great. But if you look at the rest of his stuff, like there's all the all the tweets he had that are totally against that. The and in a, it was a response to a tweet about like heavy gunfire in Mexico. He set up look up average Hispanic IQ can't be helped. He's complaining about a, an elementary school class full of Hispanic kids saying we were never asked. He goes to Poland and talks about how he's spoken out about white nationalism, but he's an empiricist. He's listening to his experiences. He can't argue with the facts. He can't argue with the reality. I mean, he's he has Jared Taylor on his show to do an honest conversation about race. And Jared Taylor's like, the dude's legitimately like, he'll come out and say he's against race mixing. He's like white nationalist ground zero there. And the first thing Molyneux does when he has him on his show is talk about, is recommend Jared Taylor's books. So, I mean, you could say maybe, I mean, my personal opinion is that he's trying to kind of play both sides a little bit with some of this, but he's very clearly trying to appeal to these people. I mean, I know I've talked to you before about this where you've kind of said that like when you see a white nationalist or someone who's a racist or something, they're very, they're very open about it. Like they'll be like, Oh yeah, I'm a racist. Like I, I hate X group of people. It's more, it's more of the anti-Semites than the white nationalists. Typically when people hate the Jews, they love to talk about hating the Jews. Um, the white nationalists. Like uh, if you white... look at, Oh, go on. But, you know, the white nationalists, I feel like even they usually like to talk about their white nationalism, but then I think there's people who are in the alt-right who, you know, might be a little bit more, uh, I don't know, coy or, you know, like, you know, maybe they have cognitive dissonance because not everybody has actually rationally come to their position. Sometimes it's just a mixture of like they hold a lot of contradicting beliefs and they haven't actually tried to reconcile any of them. They're just mixing talking points from different ideologies and people that they've heard or things that they've read so you know there's a lot of that that goes around i guess i mean i know i know nick fuentes has talked about uh on video before about kind of how he'll use humor to try to get some of his points across that he can't really say out loud because even even in those circles like if you if they really come out and say like someone like fuentes or someone if he really comes out and says like the worst of his ideology he's he's kicked off everything i mean he's already kicked off some things but there's there's certain lines that even that some people are like, oh, whoa, like I won't cross that, even if they're kind of into it a little bit. And he's he's acknowledged. I, I think I've sent you that video before where he kind of talks about using humor, like in his Holocaust video and stuff like that. So they there is beating around the bush. I mean, you could also look at Hotep Jesus, who uh, the Mises caucus was kind of having a thing with. I don't know where that stands right now, but he used to talk about uh, the Jews and like how they hate black people and how they uh they like pit they pit white and black people against each other and a bunch of other stuff. He's I think he blamed them for slavery. He was on some alt-right podcast talking about that, like Red Ice TV. But he was called out for that in I think 2018. There was this big feature article on how uh I think some conservative group kicked him out of their conference because they they kind yeah, of it was dug turning, up his stuff. turning point USA. Yeah. And if I mean if you're too bad for turning point USA, I mean, but um so he kind of he's gone away from saying the jews anymore and he just says the redacted i mean it's the same thing but it has that little bit of plausible deniability to it he'll say like oh she's not exactly white she's redacted ish or he'll say like 
I, I, he caught himself saying like something about white money in the NBA and then stepped back and said redacted money. Like he says the exact same stuff, but it's just, you don't catch it unless you're actually looking for it because you can't, it's not even in areas where there's some of that, it's not okay to just come out and say it a lot of times. Grant, were you looking to say something or I didn't, couldn't tell from your face if you were trying to, to chime in or not. if not, that's fine. I just want to make sure everyone gets their voice to, yeah. <laughs> Grant's here to, with his uh, uh, re- reminder to save the culture war, you know, I mean, and so there's, there's a little with, with nuance, with um, Hotep Jesus, with, uh, with Malonu and all this, my, my motivations are to um, not fight the culture war, but to pacify it. And I think we do that by exhibiting empathy with people and not demonizing them. Uh, doesn't mean that people don't, that the people, like, I'm not saying that Stefan Molyneux or Hotep Jesus or uh, other people that, that, you know, we might encounter in the Liberty movement don't have, don't have bigoted ideas, but if they do, I think surrounding them w- in a culture of people who are not bigots is a better solution for that than ostracizing them. And then they're only, because I think what actually promotes a lot of the radicalism on the far left and the far right is when people get pushed to the point where like they're no longer in normal society and they're only interacting with like the really, really like crazies that are out there on the, the far corners of the internet. And, and so they can get even more radicalized into that into that direction. And I've actually helped people who were on the alt-right who used to believe like really like the, the you know, all the worst anti-Semitic views that you can have, you know, people that take the Talmud out of context and believe that, you know, Judaism is a religion of, of pedophilia and all this and child sacrifice and all this stuff, which a lot of things, there's a lot of, you know, anti-Semitic beliefs along, along uh, those lines. Um, I, I've helped people, you know, get out of that, but the way I did it wasn't by, you know, spending a lot of energy calling them out for being anti-Semitic. It was just like, I knew them over time, picked my battles wisely, uh, you know, tried to be friendly with them, tried to treat them as a person and not just a, you know, you are the sum of the worst things that you've ever said. I think part of what's at play here too, and the difference between our, our approaches might be my, my Christian faith and background where I view all people as redeemable, all people as, you know, people created, uh, as children of God created in his image. Um, so there might be some of some, some differences at play there. Um, some of it's a difference of perspective also like, you know, some of the stuff with, with Molyneux, I think that there's different, like, and I don't like the problem is like, I don't want to go another 30 minutes going through every single one of these quotes, right. but with a lot of them, it's like, I don't agree with the things that are said or think that they were especially good, but then it's like, all right, well, I have, you know, I don't find myself especially offended by them because I guess I can, you know, for me, the world is not black and white, but oftentimes varying shades of gray. It goes back to the culture thing, too, a little bit. I mean, when I when I hung out in, in the various circles I, I grew up in in different environments, um, yeah, sometimes actually growing up, and this might be controversial to say, but I just I think it's true. Sometimes the the black people and black communities that I grew up in, a lot of them were very racist, actually more so than I saw racism in the white communities that I grew up in. I mean, I remember my, my mom remarried to uh, a black, uh, a black person, person of color. And he was 
not just like even subtly racist, he was like overtly racist towards Hispanics. And that's a really big problem. And there's a lot of historical tensions between blacks mm-hmm. and Jews, which is part of what plays into the Hotep Jesus thing. You know, the, the, the problem is, and you know, this might be a little bit like I, I'm being very blunt here. A lot of times I think this, the problem is ironically that uh, the, you guys are kind of like, in, in my opinion, and like you can say, maybe you'll, you'll, I know you're going to push back, probably say, well, I've done this, this, and this, whatever. But to me, what I see mostly is people making these complaints are like mostly white people. They're mostly like, you know, like from more, uh, I guess, herb, like kind of sheltered environments, I guess. And they just haven't seen enough of the world and interacted with enough of people. And when you've interacted with enough people, of different backgrounds and cultures and seeing how ugly human society can be. It's just, I guess like these things, like I, it's not that I view them as, Oh, this is good. And I want to like, you know, I want to make this our primary messaging. It's just like, okay, well, okay, that's bad. But like, I also think just the normal talking points of your Democrat and Republican parties are, are bad. And I view statism as bad. And there's a lot of things in society that like I view as bad. If I want society to be better, attacking people and doing the kind of tactics that you guys engage in i don't see it as it's not even so much that i think the two differences between us are one like we we can both view something as bad but then it's like what is the emotional reaction to it and then b what is the praxis for engaging with the culture and engaging with individuals to to promote things into the direction that we want it to go and I think that we're just completely different in those regards. So there's something to be said for the Daryl Davis approach. And for anyone who doesn't know Daryl Davis is, he's the black man who would befriend KKK members. And he got a lot of them to leave the Ku Klux Klan. And he would like keep their robes kind of thing afterwards. But Daryl Davis, he doesn't like, okay, he picks his battles and he kind of shows them they're wrong about their racism. He doesn't just say you're a terrible person over and over. Like, okay, I get that. But he doesn't go up to the KKK members that he de-radicalized and say that, like, racism isn't that bad or say that they're not actually racist. Like, there's a lot of excuse. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not calling you out. I'm saying in circles like the Mises Caucus, there's a lot of excuses for things. It's not just like, oh, yeah, this guy's uh, racist or this guy's anti-Semitic. But if he's around us, he'll change. It's a lot of it is making excuses for that anti-Semitism or that racism. And there's also the issue of. If you bring in a guy like, let's say, I don't know, Ryan Dawson or something like that, like I'm not talking about some random Facebook dude who said a few anti-Semitic things and you're trying to change him. This is a guy who's like grounded in this already. He has a huge platform. Well, Dawson's not part of the Macy's caucus at no, all. No, he's not no, even okay. in no, Yeah, I'll, I will. He's been on I Josh. He, that. He's been on Josh and Reed's podcast, and um, Dave and Pete and. Has he been on Dave Smith's podcast? He has been. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Not, not but, that I've um, seen, but I guess I was, I mean, I, I, I don't think you're making that up, so I'll take you and your word no, no. on it. I, and I, 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 I'll concede that he's not a Mises caucus member. I was just thinking of, of one person to try to make my point, but I, I'm saying that, um, I mean, listen, Dawson is somebody that like, you know, with, with all the things that are out there and the evidence, I think that there's again, evidence that he has said and done things that I would say, like, I think he is, a little bit anti-Semitic and making errors in his analysis of Zionism and Jews and 
Like he completely denies the fact that Judy that that Jews isn't just like being Jewish. Like to him, he says it's just a religion, which is just not true. Um, there's more to being Jewish than just like I'm a follower of Judaism. Um, so and... b- before we get into Dawson, I just want to finish that last point really quick, okay, and, then, and then I want to get into Dawson for a second. But my point was going to be that it's not always that okay, you bring a bunch of bigots or racists or whatever you want to call them in, and okay, like we'll change them, it's, especially if it's a major guy like. Like Dawson, I know he's not in the Mises caucus, but he's in kind of the he kind of hangs around the greater liberty movement. He's going to be changing people's minds himself. It's not it's not a one way street. So when people are, uh, ex- you could say, exposing their audience to them and not saying anything about their worst issues and kind of defending them on their worst issues, it goes both ways. It goes both ways with that. I, I have a question for John. Um, yeah. So the the Mises caucus. It says in the platform that um, we disavow identity politics. Would you say at Fakertarians you have the same view? Um, I would say it depends. I used to kind of always go exactly with that, but it, it really depends on how it's utilized. I, if it's if it's somehow if it's somehow like pitting races against each other, like no, that's that's not okay. But I don't have any issue with concentrating on the fact that certain races are more targeted by police in certain situations or that the drug war has disproportionately affected people of color. I don't, I don't see an issue with, with bringing that up. I'm not sure if that's identity politics or that, that's not. Identity. Yeah. It goes into your issue of what identity politics is. If it's just, we should have all these people of one race here or something like that. Like, like, no, I think, I think people of all races, races should be involved in the libertarian movement and the libertarian party. It really okay. comes down to the definition there. Okay, and then follow-up question from as someone from someone on the outside. In your opinion, um, does the Mises Caucus live up to that? And should that plank exist? And can we even can we even assure it? it because because social media is so steeped in this culture, or you know, it, it's kind of this intersectional bs that like oh of course i i because i'm a white male of course this is my you know of course i run libertarian circles of course this like i want to break down those walls but how do we best do that because um like i I feel like the 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 caucus is just kind of fester on this identity politics i I don't think i I think fakertarians is no exception to this um and but I mean, what do you think? Okay, so I would say I think they tried to live up to it for a while because um, I know they would try to like they would kind of kick the uh, at least when I was there in the early days they would kick out the people who really got into the white identity politics stuff. I think it kind of comes down to what your definition of identity politics is again because different people have different definitions of that. Some people think that. Uh, Black guns matter to be identity should, politics. Should we get rid of it? Should we get rid of it because because it's it's nebulous in of itself? I mean, yeah, I, I I used to when I was part of the Mises Caucus, I did think that that was an important plank to have in there because it actually gave them it gave a reason to kick out the uh, the white identity politics people, the people who got into like the not wanting other races here or something like that. But I, I do think it's kind of that plank has kind of run its course, to be honest, because I, I don't think it's really I'm not even sure it's really enforced. 
but Jacob might know more about that oh, than on. me. John, that's that's not true. I mean, you've come to me before, and and I've even just come to you on my own and showed like, hey, look, like like we kick people out when they cross that line. It's just I, that you, the, the you, line's you, you been moving to... further and further though over time. Like you just you just had a state Mises Caucus state Twitter account tweeting about rootless cosmopolitans, and you've got it's not the same thing as promoting white nationalism. That's just saying something stupid. So yeah, I mean, that, I mean the, incredibly yeah, that, false equivalency there. No, I, I disagree. I think if you look at like what someone says, they're not just they're not always just going to come out and say, "Oh, I like white nationalism" or something like that. They beat around the bush like the Europe. I know the guy Europeans who said guy. that. He's not a white nationalist. Like he's just straight up not a white nationalist. So I mean, so I, I guess I have to take your word for that. But <laughs> I mean, unless you define white nationalist as like so, like you know anybody who is less than open borders but like no i don't i don't define it okay so like he i mean to me a white nationalist is a very specific term it's somebody who is like i want to live in a society with only white people and not in the race called that a cultural preference well it's no it's one thing if you if it's a nationalist it means like you want to use the violence of the state if you say listen i believe in freedom of association and you know i would prefer to live in a more like uh what's the term, term homogeneous uh society you know, a little small little town. And, I mean, that's and not have a lot of politics, but Miller wanted to use the state and that was okay. I think once he got into advocating the use of the state, that's when he got kicked. Yeah, was, but I don't, I, I don't think the, but my, I don't have the, the stuff in yeah. front of me, but I mean, listen, this, the, the Macy's caucus doesn't promote the idea of, Hey, use state violence to create your little pocket of, you know, a group of people the way you want it. We, we promote, private property rights and we're against identity politics i think uh i don't remember i, mean, I disagree if you're talking about the hoppians in terms of the violence but john is, is, is libertarianism a, a thick or a thin ideology i think i would call it a thin one but i also think that groups should have thick preferences like even if someone can be a racist or no can be a libertarian like let's say let's let's take the thin libertarianism definition like let's say that's the right one just for the for the purposes of this discussion okay. and let's say that someone could be like a raging racist and just being running around like screaming the n-word at every black person like i i wouldn't want even if even if definitionally they're a libertarian i don't i wouldn't want them around the party i think they're going to scare a bunch of people off but i i just think i don't want those people in the movement hmm. like even even if they are technically a libertarian they're going to do a lot more harm than good and i i genuinely think they're kind of a crappy person to be honest hmm. jacob unfortunately i have to take my mate to the airport in about five minutes so i will be hopping off shortly okay josh well thanks for coming on and i appreciate uh, it your well is there anything else you want? i've got five minutes let's do a quick fire round eh um, let's see, you know, I did, you know, while you were here, wanted to ask you what your favorite, uh, um, favorite parts of Sterner were, cause I know you're a, a Sterner fan. I, I also appreciate, uh, Max Sterner. What, uh, you know, how did you, how did you, is Sterner, what kind of brought you to anarchism or is it something that, you know, you found after that? Sterner and, Sterner and Prudhon really. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't read Ego in his own for years, maybe six or seven. So it's going to be very difficult for me in five minutes to sort of remember all that. But, uh, you know, it's, I read Sterner's sort of critiques on society, a bit, you know, the old spooks and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It made a lot of sense. 
Uh, it was difficult to argue back on it. Did it form? I don't know if his philosophy is something you could base society on. It was more well, critique. No, it's, yeah. yeah. It's, well, I think Sterner is a lot like, you know, everyone who reads Sterner is going to take it a little bit differently just because yeah. of the way, the way it's written and the way, the way he, sure. yeah. So it's, but I, I, I like a lot of his ideas, you know, like I, I wouldn't put myself as like a, I'm a Sterner anarchist, but he's one of the, you know, one of the more, I guess, I guess he's kind of associated more on the left. I don't know, but I mean, um, Proudhon definitely what, is. I mean, he's yeah, Proudhon definitely is. Yeah, Proudhon. Um, yeah, no, but no, Stone, Proudhon that left of center, yes, because he's a mutualist. No, no, but do you think that property is that? It depends. I mean, like, there's there's arguments to it. Well, no, there's arguments to to and from, and I don't think we'll be able to get through it in five minutes. Uh, yeah. I don't know any but, argument in favor that's no way to run a society yeah. well maybe maybe i'll have you back on sometime yeah. in the future and we can have the mutualist yeah. discussion because those are interesting but i don't think we'd be able to get through it all no. uh grant in five minutes so i don't want to start mm -hmm. a conversation and then have to end it preemptive but Fair one one thing i will say about sterner is he is uh quite misunderstood in the sense that people will read his book and go well how are you supposed to base a society off that how but that wasn't his point his point was to say these things are just made up they're bullshit Right. That was his whole thing, which I know it's kind of a bit lackadaisical in a sense, because he's not really arguing anything, uh, how to make society better. He's just saying that's crap. Well, let me give you my like the one takeaway I got from Sterner that I think like, I have like a positive, like an argument I make that kind of comes from my reading of him. It's like I do believe in the idea of like a natural right. But I also think that if you just say, well, this is my right and you do nothing to act upon it, then you might as well just say it's a fart in the wind. And it's a spook because yeah. like what matters at the end of the day is like, you can say something's your right all day long, but if you don't implement, you don't have any kind of like, you know, uh, even in an, you know, I don't believe anarchy means no rules and no structures. You do need to have people who are willing to act and to do things. Like you can't be passive and just be like, well, this is my right. And then do, do, do nothing in society to, you know, in, enforce that. So it's I think a misconception, isn't it? Most people just think we can just walk around, do whatever the hell we want. That's not how it works. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we could do a whole, I mean, I've actually done a, a, a conversation with a friend of mine and we talked about Stern for pretty much the entire episode, but it's a, he's a fascinating guy and fascinating topics to talk about, but, um, but yeah, uh, other than that, let's see, getting back to, um, what we were talking about and Hilda, you know, when you got to go, I guess, just jump out. Um, I'll give you a nice word, but also I just want to say it was great to speak to you, Grant, as well. Uh, wow. I felt like we had a quite a good conversation. Clearly, we agreed on some things, particularly social media. So, thank send, you. Send me, send, send me the terms for uh, um, Britain uh, re reappropriating America, and I'll I'll, ah. I'll bring them over to the White House and, See, this and get, is get the Biden. Whole purpose I was here is to bring yeah, you back. We're still we're still live. We're supposed to do this off air. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, but Biden Biden's oblivious enough that I'm pretty sure that I could get him to sign it. You know what I mean? This is like, uh, this is just, um, you know, trade agreement. Just, just, just sign here, <laughs> right here, right here. <laughs> yeah, Trump was going to get his Greenland. <laughs> that was a weird story. I, I still sort of go, what, what was going on? Did he, what did he want to do? He just wanted to buy it. They said no, and he was like, what the fuck, man? Why won't you sell it to me? As if it was a car. It slaps the roof of Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. To get back to what we were talking about, you know, John, like one of the problems um, that that I have with a lot of the the critiques and a lot of the stuff that comes out of fakeritarians is that it, it 
you know, and I know you you you've tried to respond to us to be like, well, you know, figuratarians is in a caucus, and there's people who were in our discussion groups who aren't in the admin team. It's like, okay, I I guess that's like fair. I'll give you that to a point. But they're still in your group, but it's a group that you guys create, and it's a culture that you've had some hand in cultivating. And, you know, between the the admin team itself and then all the members who loosely call themselves, like, who are, who are part of that, you know, Fakertarians or what the Macy's Caucus calls the Loser Brigade, um, they they aren't just complaining about like these these incidents that we're talking about where it's like oh we don't like hotep jesus and we don't like this i mean you know people in your group have called me a nazi or nazi apologist they've they've gone after a lot of they've gone after a a lot of us in in in, you know and then you know there's been so it's hard for i guess there's a lot of like boy who cried wolf stuff going on here where I, I... i think oh go on well, well, I just feel like, you, you know, between like those are my two biggest complaints, which is like one, I think that the way you guys go about trying to, you know, engage with the things that you find to be problematic doesn't help anything. And two, what you promote is then it's like, you know, no one especially can take you guys seriously when it's like, you know, at any given point in time, you know, it's it's like people in, in, in your in your groups are going around calling most of the people who are in the caucus, you know, either outright racist or Nazis or, or at least alt-right or Republicans or 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 whatever. And it makes it, you know, even harder to, to have any kind of positive dialogue. I mean, first, okay, a lot of things I want to touch on. First of all, I would argue there are definitely... I'm going alt- to say goodbye oh. here, guys. Okay. Sorry, sorry to cut you off right. there, John. There's no, one no last thing I want to say, and that is Dickie Walnuts has, has actually insulted me. This is the best insult I've ever seen. <laughs> Hilditch looks like an angry bird, but his voice is nice for a Brit. Brilliant. <laughs> I love it, Dickie. Anyway, guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, Jacob, we should have do this again sometime. Yep, sounds good. Great. See you later, guys. Bye. Okay, well, I just, he threw me off there. What was I was talking about the group, I think it was, right? Yeah, so well, actually... There was one other thing I was going to talk about, but I, I totally lost it. So I'll talk about the idea of the discussion group versus the Mises thing. So the discussion group is basically anyone's allowed in. I mean, like we have, we've had Mises people in there. We have libertarians, we have tankies. There's literal writers in the group. It's been designed as a place to just kind of go at it. So I don't think you can call it like part of a caucus because we're not all united around some common theme or some common platform. And when people when people have gone at, like, obviously I've had many disagreements with you. I've criticized you. You've criticized me. All good. When people did the doxing stuff to you or started threatening stuff on that, I gave you a heads up on it. I, we've banned people. I've removed stuff from the group. Yeah, um, but, but then you also have one of your, one of your, your, your admin people who was con- constantly coming after me and like calling me a liar, uh, making creepy comments all the time about my, my marriage and my family situation, calling me an anti-vaxxer who he does call me basically a Nazi and a white supremacist, or at least an apologist. I've never seen him things. call you a Nazi and a white supremacist. I've seen him call you an anti-vaxxer. No, he's definitely called me those other. I mean, if he didn't outright say Nazi and white supremacist, it was one of those like, well, he basically is or he's an apologist, which means he basically is as good as being those things. I mean, if it depends on who you're talking about apologizing for. It was it was um, around the time that I had Malonu on. 
I mean, when, is when he made those it made those attacks. Which I mean, when, on Facebook. What, what, what Grant? <laughs> don't make me get back on Facebook. Fact check this. Yeah. No. And you know, there's um, you know, people can go watch that episode with Stefan Molyneux and and make up their own minds if I yeah, was defending white nationalism or defending you know any of his. You know, like I don't agree with the idea that if you platform somebody that. That like you're agreeing no, I don't with everybody. I don't agree said. with the platform thing either. But it's yeah, it's and about, it's you about know, how I you gave him. I, I you know had the, the conversation was like in two halves, and what, the first half was like, here's what we agree with, re on, and the second half I focused on what we disagreed on, and try to give him some 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 good faith pushback. Um, I don't think it was productive as far as like changing his mind, but I was like, yeah, if other people watch, hopefully the argument makes some sense for them, and you know, I thought that was. Uh, thought that was productive. I don't think that makes me a white nationalist or white, you know, even if I was going to say, maybe I'm wrong about Stefan, maybe he is just trying to play that plausible deniability card. And he actually is, is at heart a white nationalist. Like, let's say I grant you that. That doesn't make me a white nationalist or white nationalist apologist because I don't, you know, I don't believe in or even try to excuse white nationalism. It's a stupid idea. If anybody thinks white nationalism is what we what you know is a virtue or is something that we only whites can be libertarians or libertarian society could only work if it was only whites, you know, like I think that's dumb. No, I, saw, I see that's dumb too. But I mean, I, I'm not going to call you a white nationalist uh, apologist or alt right apologist. I'll, I'll be happy to call Dave Smith one. Easy. I mean, he's he said it himself basically that he's sympathetic to the alt right. Okay, well, that being sympathetic, I'm simp- like, I can be sympathetic to all sorts of groups of people to be like, listen, that, I mean, I that's being an their, apologist. If you I don't have no, to the alt right, an and you're, you're making excuses for them, and you're saying that the liberal interpretation it's, of them it's is bullshit. Empathetic, it's empathetic messaging. It's just like what Spike Cohen does. It's meeting people where they're at. If no, you can't be sympathetic making, with the alt right, then that's just a weakness on your part. Making you don't excuses have the, for Holocaust it, denial is not is not what Spike Cohen does. Okay, I don't. What Dave Smith has said on that subject is basically that if you if you go around denying the Holocaust happened, then it's not a big deal. It's well, he said it's dumb because there's lots of evidence for it, but that he's not he's not offended by it was the only thing that Dave was pointing out to be like, listen, I think no, he was defending he was defending defending Fuentes's Cookie Monster Holocaust denial video. He was he was saying that people were telling him it's racist. He's like, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, he, I mean, he, I think he makes what, excuses for these guys. That's what he I, does. I think. I think what people find funny and what jokes they they choose to laugh at or don't laugh at is their it, business. I don't it's think not, no, it's not a joke. A... Fuentes himself has admitted it's not a joke. I'm fine with offensive humor. I have no issue with that. Fuentes's Holocaust denial stuff is not a joke. No, but I, I, I don't. The Cookie Monster thing. I don't know what if what I haven't watched that, so I don't know what it is. I was. I assumed it was some kind of skit or something and that dave said it was funny government school where where you and your government school why you and your kids are so stupid <laughs> Grant, grant's just holding up signs up and down throughout the podcast kind of yeah just just you guys have a have a bone to pick so i'm just gonna keep things light here in the background all good it's all good no and i mean i, I was a minarchist but i ran out of excuses <laughs> me in like 2010 yeah, that was that was me in twenty nine. That was me in was it twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen? I can't remember now. Here's a good one. Uh, Social Security, a giant scam where old people hire the government to rob everyone for them. 
I'm reading the okay, comments. Who, who here likes Hornburger? Who is that? Any, any Hornburger fanboys in here? I don't mind Horn, Hornburger solid. I like Hornburger. I don't think he ran a good campaign, though. I, I thought he... Well, I, someone, I thought... Someone did a... a, a Okay, I love Jacob Hornberger. I think he was like, like solid on principle. But then someone made this meme, you know, back when I was uh, on the internets, and it was like, um, it was like Wish.com Ron Paul, and it was like a picture of Jacob Hornberger. It was pretty funny, but <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I like, I really like Jacob Hornberger. I'm sorry, I'm totally derailing this conversation. No, okay. You guys gotta hammer this out. Like do it up. Guys. Well, I don't. I don't think it's going to be hammered out. In I mean, I'm, I'm probably only going to let this go to the two hour mark. Yeah. Where, but I got so twelve minutes left, and you know, I don't think any of this stuff is going to be officially hammered out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I guess, with the last twelve minutes here, I mean, what are what are your end goals here? I mean, what what is what is the, uh, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with Fakertarians? What are you trying to accomplish in your opposition to the Mises caucus? And do you think that your actions are going to lead to productive outcomes? And if so, what are those productive outcomes? Like what, 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 where do you see it going? I mean, my end goal is a free society and I don't think we're going to get there if we have official LP accounts, like tweeting out racist stuff. I don't, I think that's going to turn people off. Like, I think we have the same end goal but I just don't think the Mises caucus is the vehicle to get there. I think it's absolutely counterproductive. Um, yeah, but like a couple tweets on Twitter that people that like, no, it's like, over yeah, and over I'm and going, over. It's and in the grand, already... for how many messages go out there. It's not like the Mises caucus accounts. First of all, like there's one for practically every state and there's multiple right. people on those accounts. And they're usually like, they're not like the LNC or even like a lot of state affiliate accounts in the LP where they might put out like a few, maybe like 10 messages a week. A lot of these Mises accounts are putting out dozens of messages a day or more. So like in the grand total of like hundreds of tweets and posts that are going out there, the small percentage of them that like even like i'm going to be again for the for us this conversation i'm going to be as charitable as I, as I can towards you so what's like you know dumb stupid anti-semitic tweets that shouldn't be made are a small minority as far as what the Mises caucus messaging across all 50 state affiliate accounts are and uh, most of the time most of the Mises caucus members and stuff are calling that shit out i, I will grant that. you that massachusetts didn't get dealt with in the way that I would have liked to see it get dealt with, but uh, Iowa and what other state was it? Georgia, I think. The two the two states that th those accounts got taken down and re rebooted back in I, I think that was like a yeah, month stuff, ago. Stuff generally gets deleted, but I mean, you've got a bunch of people in your comments right now saying we are Ryan Dawson, and I think that's pretty uh, indicative of this whole issue. Yeah, but I mean, do you do you think that they are saying we are Ryan Dawson because they hate Jews and they're Nazis? I think they're defending a guy who does. Answer sure. my question. Do you think that they some do you think them. that the people yes, some of them you think that some of the people in my comments right now I don't know them personally, but some of the people that I've seen tweet I've I've seen it on Twitter too. We are we are Ryan Dawson. Yeah, I bet there's some of them are anti Semites. Hey guys, what do you think we'd be doing right now if social media didn't exist? Or or would we <laughs> not even sleep here? Would our forces? Would the forces have even brought us together in this moment? I don't know. I don't. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, like, how do we even get brought to the liberty movement? I mean, like, Ron Paul leveraged the internet, um, you know, ahead of his time. 
but that was like pre that was like pre web 2.0 and 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 this this they this stupid populism it's just stupid stupid populism and stupid social media i mean it's just a world of ills i mean josh was right they've they've adapted their messaging are you are you more happy with this now john a little better yeah we, we, are, we you are don't Jacob make on B videos about blaming the Jews for everything. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that 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 video that Ryan put out was was what again, like, I think it's very likely that Ryan might, uh, you know, have. I mean, I, I don't know. I, and this was like, we don't have enough time to go through that Ryan Dawson video right now. Um, I don't know much about that Wayback Machine thing that you guys use. So I don't even know how that works. Wayback Machine's legit. Like, I, I think anyone will echo yeah, that. Who but, knows? Uh, all I know about Dawson, you know, like what, what my bottom line is with him is what he is saying when he's on all these podcasts that the people who are watching my show, you know, like what they're watching him for, which is he's talking about like how awful it is that the Israel is committing genocide against the Palestinians, sure, yeah, talking about awful. criticizing the, the, you know, American uh, empire and foreign policy that's causing damage all over the Middle East and the corruption of, of the government. So it's like, you know, he says he's pro-peace, he's anti another person that says I'm anti-racism. And it's just like, I don't know, like for me to call somebody a Nazi and then be like, it's a Nazi that is anti-war and anti-genocide. And it's like, it just doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't mean that they don't maybe have contradictory views. It doesn't mean that they, they are like a perfect saint that doesn't have any internal contradictions to their beliefs. A lot of people have internal contradictions to their beliefs or, or they have things they grew up with that make them prejudiced or, 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 um, you know, like have negative views of a certain group of people. But again, I think that, that the problem is like, I think you view the, the bigotry as like, well, it's, it's, there are just some people in society that have some prejudices. And if we just loudly condemn them, that will, I don't even know what you think loudly condemning them will. Is it that they're, you're going to scare them into not being bigots anymore by yelling at them? Or you think that... No, I don't have, I don't really have any uh, any hope of changing someone like Ryan Dawson's mind. I don't think I'm changing his mind. I'd like to shut him out of the liberty movement, personally. I don't think, I don't think we're going to just be able to have a nice, calm conversation with him. A guy who puts a Zyklon B thumbnail on a video where he blames the Jews for, like, organ trafficking and pedophilia and all that and then he ends yeah, but nobody but but grant no, sorry not grant um john nobody Grant's sad <laughs> john, no, nobody's like nobody who here in these comments are like going yeah ryan dawson f the jews they're like yeah ryan dawson end the damn wars so and it's there's like, other I people saying end the damn wars who don't Cool. Make so go promote them parasites yeah go, that's great go go go, go promote them and and yeah you know you know what half the half of the bad things that people say that you call out nobody would know they said them except that you guys go through all this effort to blast it everywhere so that then people you know, well, no, it's, know it's good to know things. they it's good to know they say them so that we don't promote them and bring people to their audience yeah but it, it'd be one thing if they were saying that stuff now but ryan's not saying anything that, was, like that, that right video now. was from last year he says that stuff all the time he t he talks about how judaism breeds psychopaths and he was calling blm jungle animals and stuff like that the dude's saying the same stuff now. I don't know. He's not saying that stuff when he's on the shows that I'm watching, but right because he knows he can't say it there. He'll say it on he'll say it in his, on his own platforms, even though he's been he's been kicked off of stuff, which I'm which I do support. But he uh, he'll say it on his bit shoot or whatever. That was that video was from January 2020. This isn't like 10 years ago. 
I don't know. We'll we'll move on from that. Um, I'm, I'm so, like, so freaking worthless right now. I mean, I should we know. end on like a good note or something? Because we're like four I, minutes. I really away. hope we do. I really hope we do. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I go back to what Grant kind of started out with with that with that that thing you put up the culture war thing. I mean, I just I I don't see you know I I asked you John what your end goal is and I just I I don't see like what your mission accomplished thing is. I, I just don't see it. Like, I mean, the, the Mises caucus is, is a sizable group in the Liberty movement and it's continuing to grow. If you continue this scorched earth policy that you are, I don't, I don't see things getting better. I don't, I don't see the Mises caucus backing down and disappearing. I don't, you know, and if, so then I wouldn't uh, withdraw support from the party. I mean, Okay. Well then, I mean, you know, it's just, I, I don't, again, I don't, I don't see the, the caucus membership. You know, I'm one of the, I'm one of the moderators who is in control of like admitting like the first step to becoming a member of the caucus is joining the Facebook group. And mm-hmm. I'm one of the, you know, three. I don't even act- exist. I don't even exist. You don't even exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but like, you know, these people are joining and they're like, yeah, I want to join because like, I care about, uh, the wars going on. I want to care because like, I want to oppose the, the, the COVID passports and the lockdowns and like, you know, nobody's joining going like, yeah, I'm joining because of, you know, I hate Jews or no, you don't stuff. see that there, but when no, you but see then, like, but then like, in, I saw them myself. I was a moderator. That's, yeah, that was I the mean, reason I, I left it, in the first place. I mean, but the group's at what? I think 10,000 now as far like as the that. Facebook group. And then the email list is even bigger. I mean, yeah, I, I I think we'll just have to end this on an agreement to disagree on this because I I think that the way that we view culture, the way we view bigotry, the way we view uh, activism and engaging with culture and bigotry are incredibly different. And I I I'm willing to be charitable with people and view people as not just the sum of the worst thing they've done, but to take them as a whole and and to, to to focus on the good in them and if there are things that they believe or do that i find are harmful i believe that my best reaction to that is to continue to positively reinforce the good in them as a person and to uh seek to change that person through peaceful conversation and persuasion and not gatekeeping and demonizing people and engaging in what you guys do which i would basically uh liken to like cancel culture and gatekeeping which i don't think are effective measures that's that's a really christian view jacob Um, well i mean the name of my show is biblical anarchy so yeah i'm you know i am a christian and so yeah that does affect you know the way i view things and i don't view you know i don't view people even you know Again, like, you know, for the last 12 minutes, I've been trying to be as charitable to to John's view as I can to be like, yeah, these things are just, you know, awful. And this person does, you know, like, listen, someone can can be prejudiced against a group. And that's very common in our in that's even it's common in our society. It's even more common when you go across the world. I mean, when you go to different cultures across the world, it's even more prevalent. But the way you combat it isn't by just going around with these performative uh, blanketed condemnations of people and doing it as loud as you can. I mean, really since the civil rights movement, people have been condemning racism and bigotry as loud as they can. It doesn't seem to have made bigotry and racism go away. 
I think that the way that you en you engage the culture to positively change it is by being positive. And that means that we focus on what we agree with. We focus on what we we have in common. And then as people do that over time, you know, a lot of this is probably time preference too. Whereas John, I feel like you're operating with a very high time preference towards people when they say things that you find unlibertarian or to be bigoted. Whereas my view is like, listen, People sometimes take years or even a decade to have their mind changed or something or to move from uh, viewpoints that are bad or toxic to ones that are better and untoxic. And, you know, uh, sometimes it might even take a lifetime. But I want my interactions with people to be where I'm planting seeds in them and I am promoting them and pushing people towards becoming the better versions of themselves. And if I'm going to condemn them. Very rarely do I think that there's a role for public condemnation because it doesn't actually incentivize people to to feel comfortable to change and actually look inwards and 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 challenge any bad ideas they have. It makes them uh, double down, dig in, get defensive, and and shoot back. It doesn't, you know. And this is something that I think the Bible talks about. Something that I think psychology uh, talks about as far as like the art of persuasion and and the way people uh change their mind and build relationships so um yeah i so, I, I will give you the last i'll give you and grant the last words here and then we'll we'll close out so i i'll leave this short and sweet and i said it before there's something to be said for the daryl davis approach but it doesn't involve making excuses for the bigotry sure you can befriend people and try to change their minds over time but you don't have to minimize all the bad things they've done and second of all um, when I'm calling out someone like, I don't know, Stefan Molyneux or who's someone, Ryan Dawson or something like that. I, I think, I don't think I'm going to change their mind. I, I don't think it's worth my time to try to change their mind. It's one person. I think it's worth my time to make people aware of the issues with them so that they don't get sucked into their whole world. Yeah. All right. Grant, what do you want to close out with? I would just... <sighs> leave you two gentlemen with I think you need to take you don't have to get off social media totally but I think a holiday every once in a while would be good I think you need to travel and I'm not implying that none of you have they've never done this but these are just good things to do unplug for a bit travel um, Jacob I really admire that you have and John, you do this to some extent too, but Jacob, you have people on that you, you don't always agree with. Um, and, and we grow from that. And that's why we travel too. We, we, we bump into people with different worldviews and, and ideas and it, and it just kills the bigotry in us. It just kills it. And it, we find out that we're all of the same substance. And um, I don't know that that's, uh, that's what um, God commands us to do. Um, moreover, unplug from social media, travel, expand your worldviews, um, or be exposed to different worldviews, but don't compromise your principles. So stay true to your principles. And get your hands dirty. Um, get Actually play in the dirt. You know, plant crops, plant a garden. Um, care for livestock, homestead. Those things have brought me peace. Um, I feel like I'm looking at 
I've come out of the stream a little bit around 20, 20, 2019, 2020. I, I kind of I kind of withdrew a little bit. And now I'm looking back in. And it's like this fast moving current of of fish or, or water, or it's just moving too fast. I can't keep up with it. I'm an old soul. I can't, everything's changing too quickly. And I'm, I'm optimistic for the future. I'm not anti-technology. I'm not a primitivist. Heck, I work in medicine, so I can't be backward looking. But real progress and real wisdom, um, they're, they're, they don't they don't happen environments with all this chaos and back and forth and flame wars and edge lording and it this is this has been hard for me to see and um I'm just an old soul I'm, yeah. I'm not a boomer no I, I'm not like you know the, even this conversation here has been I mean, like, I'm not really trying to complain, but it's like, it's not fun in a sense that like the tensions and the infighting and stuff, exactly. like it's, it's not things that I enjoy or relish and they're not things I want to promote. Um, and I'm not saying the solution is we can't talk about problems. Like you can't have peace with the sake of like, like you can't say peace for the sake of peace and just like whitewash everything. And that's not what I'm asking you to do, John, or anybody to do, but you know, and I'm not saying like I'm not trying to take the position here that the Mises caucus or myself were always right. No one can ever criticize us. No one can ever say this wasn't a good idea. This this wasn't the right path. Um, it, it, this is much more about the praxis of how we have conversations and and how we move towards a better society, better ideas better communication and than than it is than it is the 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 uh ethos of like what what we want i mean because we're all i think you know all three of us here now that uh the the mutualist brit is gone uh you know we're all we're all we're all three of us are ancaps and we all want a society where people are free from uh oppression and coercion we want people to to be free to express their self-ownership to be able to own their labor to not have to fear uh going outside and and being uh rounded up by a state agent with a gun for things that aren't hurting anybody like owning cannabis or crossing from mexico into the united states or just like living in yemen you know what i mean and having bombs dropped on you mm. Um, you know, to some extent, I feel like some of the people that live in the worst places in the world would look in and not just be like Grant going, Ugh, this makes me uncomfortable. They'd be like, you guys are complaining about, you know, things while like I'm starving to death and I saw my family murdered in front of me. And, you know, my dad did missionary work. So all and, and even though I did not accompany him on those missionary trips, he took a lot of photos and came back and told a lot of stories and I've talked to people who, you know, moved from Africa to here to the United States. And so that informs a lot of my perspective too. Um, talk to a lot of, you know, military veterans and, and talk to them about the stuff that's, you know, that, that they've witnessed and, and seen and people that have severe PTSD from that kind of stuff. I used to, as a, as a kid go over, my family would go over to a um, member of our church's house every 4th of July 
because the fireworks would give him severe PTSD from his time in Vietnam. So, I mean, war is awful. The state yeah. is awful. Um, the things that the state does are awful. And they, it just, you know, that's my focus. I also don't like bigotry and racism or sexism. Uh, don't like anti-Semitism. Um, but I feel like these are things that are more natural, like they're, they're, they're going to be naturally reoccurring parts of the human condition in society, whether we eliminate the state or not. And so, I mean, so is war. Well, I think to a lesser, I think there's always going to be conflict. Uh, I think that, yeah, like the, 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 the scale of war or even the types of war that would be fought in an ANCAP society, I don't think would be, you know, like, you know, 20 40 year occupations of, you know, half of the Middle East, for example, think would be pretty, you know, expensive to keep up in an ANCAP society. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, humans are imperfect and there's always going to be violence and, and uh, conflicts. Um, so it's not so much that I'm trying to make excuses for anything. It's more, um, and it's not that I'm trying to say, nothing that you guys have ever pointed out is, is true. Um, I, I just think that we're so far past the point where like, like all we have right now is toxicity and, and, and hostility. And we're not in a position where anything productive can be done. And there's, you know, there's two paths ahead of us. One would be some, some form of de-escalation, and the other is, Things get worse, and I don't want them to get worse. But the only way that things get better is that, you know, well, for one, like we have to be willing to have these kind of conversations. And that's why, you know, despite, you know, some people from, you know, I guess my camp, so to speak, are probably not the happiest that I chose to have this conversation. But the reason I was willing to do it, and, you know, I'll be honest, I was a little bit reluctant, but I chose to do it for two reasons. Like, one, as a Christian, you know, like I said at the beginning, I just kind of believe in acting out. Like if somebody asks, you know, hey, I want to come on, you know, have a conversation with you. I, I just, you know, like I'm going to say yes, you know, as long as I think that person's not going to just come on and scream at me and 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 be like a jackass the whole time, which you weren't. Um, so the second reason being that like the only way that things can ever get better is through like human action and conversation. And if we completely shut that down, things will only get more hostile, more more aggressive. So I don't think this conversation has fixed anything, but my hope would be that it's planted seeds in the minds of people on both sides to to try to look at these things, maybe, you know, one, to see it through each other's eyes, and then two, to find ways to, I mean... To, you know, I mean, there there has to be if there if there uh, I'll I'll put this out there if if there's got to be accountability for the Mises Caucus or for podcasters or people within the Mises Caucus or associated with it for platforming certain people or for not you know for certain messages that get put out there or whatever, then to me there has to be equal accountability for the things that people do on the other side that have you know like like you know I, I didn't. I, I try not to focus too much on that during this episode, but there's a lot of bad shit on the other side that I don't see getting called out. Um, and it's, inc you know, things are incredibly factional right now. So 
I think that if we want things to get better, then people, it, it, this is all like, you know, like groups don't really exist. We're all individuals. So what it comes down to is there have to be individuals who are willing to go against the grain to be like, I'm not going to let the collectivist group think dictate what I do. I'm going to, yeah, like, yeah, like Ayn Rand said, the smallest minority on, on earth is the individual. Um, we have to be willing to engage in, in nuance, be willing to be charitable with people and, you know, be, be willing to, again, like, and I had this conversation with, you know, one of my friend, Hody, my friend Hody is in the comments and we had a conversation about this uh, like a week or so ago. And I still very much agree with what we talked about in that episode, which is just, I, I think if we got everybody to have an approach where we interacted with each other more from a place of we can disagree, but we're on the same team, more would get done. And right now we're so far from that. And the only way that that's going to change is from individuals choosing to model that themselves. And so, and I feel like I tried doing that at the beginning, but it got really hard, John, because of the, I mean, and I'm not trying to say it's 100% your fault, but it is your group. And when I went into the Fakertarians discussion group and have interacted with it since, I don't know, mid 2020, you know, I've not gotten a lot of positive interactions in that, in that group. I mean, you're about like you and Hilditch are about the most positive, you know, like, like that, this is the peak of it, the most positive interactions that I can have. And outside of that, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's hard. And the, you know, after you guys, it's a huge drop off to at best people are just going to call, you know, call me names and, and, you know, just constantly criticize me. And then at worst there's, people calling me Nazis and a Nazi and a bigot and making a bunch of, you know, creepy comments about my family. And I see this happen, not just to me. I see this happen to a lot of other people who were in the caucus engaged in social media. So, and then I understand where Grant's coming from completely where he's like, Oh, like this is just a mess. Everyone get off social media. I wish I could do it, brother. If I could Thanos, you know, infinity gauntlet, snap my fingers and brawl off of fucking Twitter and Facebook, I'd do it. But Barring that, I don't know how we get there. So if we're going to be on social media, then, you know, we have to, you know, be responsible with how we use it. And um, yeah, I'll, I will end on that note. We're at two hours and 15 minutes. Um, so uh, John, I'll give you, I, I went on a little bit of rant there. So I will give you one more really quick response. Then you can plug whatever you want to plug. And then I will close this out. Okay, sure. So the thing that stuck out to me, well, I mean, a bunch of things did, but the the only thing I want to respond to that I want to like argue with just the littlest bit is the thing about uh, being on the same team or whatever. Like I'm definitely on the same team with some people um, and there's people in the Mises caucus I could definitely work with, but there's going to be people like that. I'm, I do not think are on my team. And... Well, yeah, I mean, my, my encouragement to that would be, and like, you know, like we don't all have to work together with everybody, but I just think we should treat people like individuals and we can, like, if you want to say, listen, like, you know, like, I don't think everybody needs to go. I 100% agree with the Macy's caucus. If someone says, eh, I don't like a lot of this, but I'll work with the individuals in the caucus that I can work with. Fine. That's reasonable. That's to me still in the keeping of we're all on the same team. 
Um, it's not like meaning I like and approve of everybody in, in the group. It just means like, like, let's just, again, like I want to combat the state more than anything and, and, and actually work towards setting people free. And so I would just like there to be some kind of ceasefire in, in, in the, the war of fakertarians versus Mises versus, you know, or, or, or like the, you know, one part of the LP versus the other part of the LP. And, you know, I, you know, be like, hey, we have our disagreement, but we hate the state more. That's what I would like to see. It's going to be a tough task, but <laughs> well, that's, that, that's my heart. Dickie Walnut says, poor Amish dude is disappointed over here. He about to pull out the flintlock gat on the edgelords. Now, nah, Amish. It's going to be the liberator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, John, plug your stuff before you go. Okay. Like Facebook.com slash Fakertarians. Uh, Twitter.com slash Fakertarians. We have the Fakertarians podcast that we stream to all our stuff, our Facebook, our Twitter, our YouTube, our Twitch. Uh, we have some articles at fakertarians.com, but it looks like the website looks like it's designed in like 2000 and I really got to fix it. It's not as bad as lourockwell.com, but close. Yeah, yeah, Lou, Lou Rockwell is such a boomer. <laughs> like, we can agree on that. It's, yeah. His site's pretty awful. I like, I like awful. The, Amish, the old Amish websites. I like that. I like that. It, 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 looks like, it looks like something you would find on like Alta Vista or something. I was going like. to say GeoCities. Yeah, <laughs> very very peak nineties. But um, yeah, you know, I've been on Fakertarian's podcast. It's been a while though. Yes. Um, so we've thought about we've talked a little bit about having you back on. Yeah, we were going to do a conversation on Hoppa, but I have to. I yeah. I haven't read Hoppa. I haven't read all of Hoppa, and I haven't even read Hoppa in a while. So I need to brush up on my <laughs> my Hoppa before before I do that. Oh, but yeah, you know, I'm on that. Ha 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 ha! But um. Cool. All right, everybody. I can't believe that some of you have stuck through this whole thing. You guys are just incredibly masochistic. Like, <laughs> gosh. Like, <laughs> but uh, John, thanks for coming on. Um, no, it's yeah, thanks you know, for having me. Uh, um, better than your last appearance on a <laughs> podcast. Oh, I had a lot of fun on that one. I got to tell the magnet joke and everything. I got to tell you, I, I mean, I so like, I found it funny what they did because like, I, I like practical jokes and stuff. But I was like, I thought it would have been a better practical joke for just you to be there with the entire Tower Power. The yeah, whole time. I was thinking that like they could have roasted like, me and yeah, like, I was like that would have been fun. Like they, I don't they know. could have I, like made me look stupid or something. Like they could have had yeah, people like, going at me at once. Yeah, they could have been assholes to you still. Yeah. But like it would have at least been like I was like then they just like oh we're doing Tower Power Hour. I was like okay, well, you know, you guys have done that a bunch of times. It's fun to do you know, something different, but I don't know. Like this conversation was heated at times, but you know, I don't have animosity towards many people. I try not to, and I don't really have any animosity towards you. I have some disagreements with you, but um, I appreciate you coming on grant. Thanks for coming on and helping provide some comic relief and, and levity and, uh, and your perspective as well. So uh, thanks to the audience and y'all have a good rest of your night. Namaste. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. 
Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.